have I got a story for you. Matthew Morris is running for U.S. House of Representatives to represent Delaware. He's been in sales management, convicted of a felony, overcome addiction, and is without a doubt 100% not your stereotypical Republican candidate. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. Yes, AndrePsyche.com is, say it with me, the cute, quaint, corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merch you had no idea existed. Why? Because AndrePsyche.com is tucked away in a little cranny of the northwest part of the internet. Let me give you a preview of the plethora of potential purchases available to you when you go. We are talking about literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, or my favorite, and it will be yours, any custom gift that your soul desires. Do you have an idea? Are you trying to get something original for a loved one that has never even been created, but only thought of? All you have to do is message Andre, because after all, he is a freelance creator extraordinaire. So go to andrepsyche.com. Just see what speaks to you, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on andrepsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You Pod. Can you do me a favor? We here at the Getting to Know You Pod need and also very much appreciate all of your support. Can you take a moment right now? Just push the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, or whatever application you opened. And while you're at it, can you click five stars, maybe four at the least, and leave a review, especially if you're listening on Apple. Also, if you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All you have to do is search us up. It's getting, the number two, no, the letter U, pod. And finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The podcast has been downloaded in over 20 different countries and the majority of states, I believe it's up to 40, in America. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. Our advertising rates are extremely reasonable, and we would love to partner with you. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Doing it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. On today's show, we are getting to know Matthew. And Matthew is coming to us from Wilmington, Delaware. And Matthew is a Republican candidate for the United States Congress, of which Delaware only gets one representative. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've had a busy day. 
for coming on the pod, having a conversation and allowing people to uh, just kind of in a relaxed way, get to know you, man. I really appreciate your time. No, Sean, thank you so much for having me on the show. You know, it's a, it's a full-time job trying to save the world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it's literally right before we were recording, um, we were talking about, and I think it's important to understand because I've had a lot of people, I've had a lot of people going for office that are not incumbents. And it's, it's hard for voters and constituents to understand, like, for your rent or your mortgage to be paid, for your lights to be on, for your car not to be repossessed, you still have to pull in money that's not related to your office that you hope to achieve. Like, you're holding jobs. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah. And we even went through it just trying to have time and make sure that we could get some time set aside to conversate on a podcast. Like it, it's, and that's why I'm so appreciative of it because it has to be uh, like stressful. Isn't the word, but I feel like it's appropriate word <laughs> to like try to balance a regular uh, life. And stressful run- is the absolute most apropos word to use. Uh, <laughs> especially like someone like myself where, I, you know, I, I work a job where I'm in sales management. Um, oh. I work for a company where the demands of the customers are, are a little bit high. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a constant um, struggle throughout the day, um, mentally and sometimes physically. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of objective thinking. It's a lot of thinking outside of the box um, and trying to work around uh, whatever – uh, <clears throat> objectives that we or ob- objections that we have throughout the day. Yeah, right. The parameters, the ever-changing yeah. parameters. <laughs> it, uh, it totally keeps me on my toes all day. Right. But I think that it is it is mentally mentally straining. Dude, I and that's funny because this is why I kind of love the getting to know you pod where I do a little bit of research, but I don't do deep dives because I enjoy authentically getting to know people. Sales management running for office customer demands almost seems symbiotic. Again, I, I love starting off the podcast with the wrong words, but it seems like <laughs> sale management would be perfect for someone running for office because you're kind of used to hearing people. What do you need? Let me help you make it work. Absolutely. And also managing a team. Oh, um, great point. In people who are underneath of me, they are all type A personalities and they all have wants, demands and needs that always have to be met. Um, I love my team. They're an amazing, amazing collective, crazy bunch of people, but I wouldn't try <laughs> it for the world. Um, but sometimes it can. It can be uh, a little trying, you know, um, because it only takes one person to throw off the entire team. Yeah. You know, we have metrics that we have to meet. We have goals every day, uh, every week, every month. Um, and managing a, a team and, and I only have, we only have 13 sales associates, uh, in our, in our store and it can, it can be, it can be a difficult task because, um, dude, that's 13 personalities. <laughs> six to like 42 personalities. So. Um, but yeah. Um, it's definitely 13 different personalities and, um, you know, one person can get in a mood and completely offset the entire team yeah. and that nobody's performing at maximum capacity and it can put a damper on our numbers and then it affects all of our paychecks. And my number one priority is ensuring and, and making sure that 
my team is making money. So that includes like not only doing my job uh, with selling and working with customers individually, but also meeting the demands of my salespeople, um, which takes a lot of it takes a lot of objective thinking, as I said before. But also, um, it's something. It's almost like an art business acumen. Um, oh yeah, is definitely a form of art when it comes to being able to think outside of the box. You know, um, is this a smart business decision? Is um, is this decision that I'm about to make going to cost the company more money, or are we going to benefit from it? And that's something that. Um, a lot of people really don't look at when they see, oh, well, you know, you know, sales management, um, I'm sure I get yelled at all the time or, you know, you guys sell stuff. You're just uh, a yes man. How hard is it to sell a car? It sells itself kind of oh, a thing. It, it, it's you know what I'm saying? I heard yes man thing. So I yeah. am no man. <laughs> <laughs> so when somebody has something that they, they want to tell the customer no, they come to me. Um, if they want a yes, they will go to one of the other managers. Um, <laughs> but I'm the one that's like, uh, sorry, we can't do that. Um, cause, but and, and it, let me just I, ask, is that more like from a fiscal standpoint where you're looking at it, the business and you're really like, dude, it just makes no sense. It really is. So, you know, I'm always thinking about the business. Mm. Um, there was a time and place before I got into my position, I was the number one sales associate. Um, not per dollar sales, but bringing in revenue. Huh? What's <clears throat> the so difference? My leading salesperson was really upset uh, at the fact that I had. He wasn't upset, but like you know, we were all you know. He and I are always like you know, oh, you know, who's number one? Um, and he's like, wait a minute, how's Matt number one? And our, our old store manager had to explain, like, you know, his revenue was higher because he has smart business acumen. So you're clearing more, even yeah. though the guy might have more sales, you're actually making, you're turning more of a profit. I'm turning more of a profit. Correct. And that's because yeah. I do, I have a level of understanding, a, a, you know, good, smart business acumen. I am a firm believer in working smarter, not harder. And it all really does come down to, okay, is this a smart business decision? For instance, um, you know, customer orders a dresser, the dresser comes in damaged. Am I going to make the decision to do an even exchange or send them out send, and send them out a new one? Or am I going to send out a technician? The technician costs X amount of money. Right. Uh, whatever is wrong with it, I have to be able to make that judgment call of whether or not it's going to just cost us more money versus replacing it. Yeah. And then on top of it, you got to take into account what's the perception of the person who's receiving the service, right? Oh, like where do they stand? Yeah. Um, and it can, it can, it can be uh, very, very interesting. Um, although I have, I have developed a very good rapport with our customers. Um, generally speaking, I knock on wood, um, <laughs> will ever have anything negative to say about me. Um, but I think it's because one thing that um, I'm really good at is empathizing with people and saying, you know, I really do. Like, I understand your situation. and How can I help you? Right. Uh, which is you know, which can be very forgotten in the art of sales. Yes, it can. Um, and that's one thing that um, has gotten me where I am 
um, that, and I am also brutally honest. And <laughs> when a customer's like, wait, did you just tell me not to buy this? And I'm like, yeah, I can't lie. I work a program of recovery. And if I start lying, I'm going to start drinking again. <laughs> the customer's like, okay, well, well, thanks for looking out. You know? Oh, shit. Uh, Recovery is like the natural. Somebody might come in and and they absolutely want something and I'll tell them, I'm like, Hey, listen, you know, um, it's not the best of quality, but like, if you're going to beat it up anyway, go for it. (laughs) It'll be a great, that, that cabinet will be a great beater cabinet for you for like three years while your kids are young. (laughs) But I feel like people respect that, man. Like, I feel that's just like down to earth, understanding what people want in a situation and trying to help them. Cause honestly, most people who are dealing with a salesman are looking for understanding and advice on a selection. They're not looking to get taken advantage of. They're looking for assistance to make a wise choice. That's why you need a salesman. I, I've never met uh, a customer that was willing or wanting to be taken advantage of, but I have met many customers who are wanting and willing to take advantage of us, <laughs> um, which is, is, which is the most exciting part of the job is the negotiation. Is it? Uh, as the store that I work at, we don't discount any of our, our inventory. Uh. And if you don't discount that inventory, it's so easy for me to be like, mm, no. <laughs> gotcha. So it's up to your discretion what you take off, and then that's how you lose the profitability. Because if you take well, off whatever, $100, that's $100 out of your pocket, not the – businesses per se no i i essentially i no not even essentially like it's it's affirmative i cannot discount any of our furniture oh wow yeah um not even for my employees because it's marked down so low for competitive uh reasons right that the company found that you know the discount's so high on the furniture anyway like you can't get it cheap anywhere cheaper yeah um it's like it's like getting the employee discount yeah and honestly man that just makes it so much easier to go in there and buy something you know like it's almost like the whole used car sales thing where you go to the lot and you just expect to be like dude can we just get to the bottom line like what is the the price is the (laughs) price can we just get there can we not like flirt can we not beat around the bush Can, can we not just fake this like rapport can i just know the number and it's nice that a company's just like, dude, we're just giving you the number, man. This is what it is. Yeah. You know, and um, when people ask me what I do for a living, I tell them I make friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be 100% honest. I I know the bare minimum about furniture. Um, I know the company policies. I know how to use all of the systems and everything. But when it comes down to it... Um, I, I I know the bare minimums, you know. Do you know the difference between mahogany and oak? Uh, I mean, like one's darker than the other. There it is. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, oak is uh, a lighter color, and mahogany is definitely like a darker, darker color wood. <laughs> and so, how is that an advantage for you as a sales guy, instead of being so technical? Why does that help well, you? So when when customers see my vulnerability and they Ah. they see that like not only am I just friendly but I'm relatable and I do I talk to the 
I talked to them about everything but furniture. And then, I mean, how difficult is it to say, well, is it comfortable? Does it match? Because I don't know what their home looks like unless I ask qualifying questions, which is part of our entire MO. Um, and of course, like, yes, I, I, I completely 100% know how to go through my selling processes and how to, you know, do everything the company way yeah, uh, or just the sales way. And because it is, it is rather important. There are certain questions that you have to ask uh, people um, especially on the topic of, uh, like whether or not it's going to fit. I was about to say, how wide are your door frames? Did you measure <laughs> them? <laughs> you know, you know, all behind your door when you first walk into your house, because that's very important because <laughs> and the one piece is greater than 89 inches, but yeah. standing up and getting it in there. Exactly. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but yeah. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been a really, really interesting, um, transition for me these past two years so i uh i came from ophthalmology i uh i've worked for some of the top leading ophthalmologists in all of delaware um and i've done everything from retina to glaucoma specialist to being the doctor's right-hand man um and as an ophthalmic technician, we essentially perform the same essential functions as an eye doctor without the ability to legally diagnose and to legally prescribe medications. Gotcha. So when a patient comes in, we are already writing in the chart all of their symptoms, um, their chief complaint. And in that chief complaint, we are identifying what is wrong with them. Causes and such. So what happens is that after we're done doing our workup, which is, you know, checking the circular visual field, uh, field which is your peripheral vision and um, your visual acuity, that means like putting the foreopter in front of your face and putting your prescription into the, the, um, the foreopter and then going through the, is it better one, better two, better one, better two, better one, better two. Uh, I love that. That's the funnest <laughs> test. It just never ends. You're like, Jesus, I just wish it would end. <laughs> right. Or, or uh, can I see number one again? Yeah, right. Dude, sometimes like if I have a half hour to kill, like if I was in the waiting room for an extra half hour, I'd try to get that half hour back by being like, let me see two. Let me see one. Let me see two. Let me see one. And then they're like, seriously, bank a choice. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, man. I just, you wasted my time. I'm going to waste some of yours. Oh. <laughs> um. You know, I really, I really did. I enjoyed working in ophthalmology. I loved the responsibility. I wanted to be an eye doctor, unfortunately, because I am a convicted felon of a violent crime. Um, the Board of Optometry in the state of Delaware, the Board of Optometry in Pennsylvania, both said that they would not license me. Um, oh, really? Um, they did, yes. Wow. I told that I could not get licensed because it is a direct violation of moral turpitude. Um, which, I mean, you could kind of argue because it, it's not a dishonest crime. It's just a, a violent crime, um, <laughs> which I don't think that there is, either one's any better than the other. Hmm. Uh, but wait, so if it was a dishonest felony, would you be able to get licensed? Oh, definitely not. No. Okay. If I, if I was like involved in like embezzlement or theft or stealing or gotcha. anything direct, uh, violation of moral turpitude. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a hard no. Gosh, uh, yeah. 
So I was I was in school for biology. Um, I have always been kind of like a math and science nerd. Um, I really get off uh, talking about microbes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a total nerd. I spent most of my childhood um, either outside playing in the mud and you know in the woods and like collecting rocks and various different plants um, from everywhere that I could find them um, to spending my time inside when it's raining, uh, either working on computers or programming, whatever. Um, and is, is that just happened. natural for you or do you have like some family influence that's kind of like shading you that way? Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I grew up, uh, my oldest brother who was, geez, uh, I want to say 13 or 14 years older than me. Um, really stepped up when I was a kid, um, because my father had passed away. And after my father had passed away, we moved back to Delaware. My mom, um, was kind of from Delaware. Um, <laughs> is that possible? Unless you live in Del Mar to be well, kind of from Delaware? Like my mom graduated from a Delaware high school. She's been here since she was 13. Okay. Yeah. Um, but my mother actually was raised in Western Africa. Oh, wow. Um, on a marine base in Morocco. Um, yeah. So Which fun, I just fun fact. I've actually had a guest on this podcast who served in the Peace Corps in Morocco. And his, yeah. ep his episode is the most downloaded episode on the Getting to Know You Pod. Sorry, what? shameless plug. Yeah. Sam, <laughs> Sam, guest number 23. He was an investigative journalist that got into Chinese offshore fishing and um, had some honestly like, dude, Dude took like six months on a motorcycle and just went around the island looking for stories, man. Like really uh, neat. Not to take away from you, but just really interesting to hear about that island perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that sounds amazing. I, uh, you know, every single day I dream about that bungalow right from <laughs> the water. And it, it, there has come plenty of opportunity where I have almost thrown in the towel and said, you know what? I'm just going to sell everything and go. Mm. <laughs> However, there is this divine intervention that has been influencing my life for the past three years that has led me to where I am today running for Congress. And, you know, I, um, I, I did, I was involved in a violent crime. I beat up a guy, um, outside of a gay bar that I was, I, I was a patron of, um, and the entire situation was portray portrayed as the gay hate crime, which I found uh, very interesting because I'm gay myself. Um, <laughs> so, and just, and you can get into as much as you want. And I feel like you're probably pretty open about it. And I feel like you've probably told this story a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, so you're outside of a gay bar. What instigates the, the attack? Well, so uh, the guy was actually getting kicked out of the bar for being aggressive with other patrons. No, a gay man in a nightclub being aggressive? Unheard uh, of. I, <laughs> I would... That's like the norm, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not the norm, but... There's, there's levels of aggression. But like <laughs> yeah. when, dude, when dudes are... Like when it's getting it's late at night... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have cut you off. 
So, um, yeah, no, the guy was getting uh, kicked out of the bar for being aggressive. He threatened somebody with a beer bottle. Nice. And, um, I mean, I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know this until court. Um, but from my perspective, he was just getting kicked out of the bar. Um, he mouthed off to two guys who were standing outside of the bar. Um, he said something to the bouncer, um, you know, a bunch of explicits and... Um, Bouncer said something to the two guys. I don't know. The guy like sashayed down the alleyway, and I was eating my pizza. And then um, the bouncer came back out with a jacket on, and him and the two guys followed after the guy down down the alleyway. And um, I listen. I I cannot deny that I am from Claymont, and you know I was raised in the area, and I. Grew up on the streets of Claymont, and I have had this whole clay monster mentality. Um, had, have, I mean, it's subjective, but um, you can take the boy out of Claymont, but you can't I, take <laughs> yeah, right, you know, that's like that's my number one struggle. I'm like, you can't talk to me that way. <laughs> so true. Uh, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, you know, like I was curious, I wanted, I wanted to see what they were gonna do. I thought maybe, you know. I, I did. I'm sorry. I did not think that they were going to go talk to him in a in a pleasantry manner. Um, but you know, I I want I, I did. I want to see a fight, and you know, I I told the police that, and I got around the corner. They had him on the ground. They ran his pockets, and um, he he said, "Please don't take my cell phone." To the one guy who was like trying to take his phone, and the the guy stood up and he kicked him straight in the face. Oh. And, um, started stomping him, and that's when I ran over and I like pushed them off of him. I was like, "Yo, yo, yo, chill, 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 chill." Like he's good, he's good. Um, and so I um, I turned back around and I went to go like I went to go get my friends, and um, I told my friends about what happened. We uh, went back to the the way that he was, and um, I don't know. He he was just getting up off the ground. He took one look at me, started screaming at me, saying, "You did this to me!" And oh my god! Wait, wait, pause for a second. What happened to the bouncer and the two friends that you pushed off of them? Like they so, just they just left. The, the two the two dudes ran off, and the bouncer went back to the club. And uh, the bouncer didn't vouch for you in any way, or the bouncer's not trying to get fired for like following uh, a dude and trying to like jack him for his so, whatever five hundred dollar iPhone. I mean, so like the video is the video speaks for itself. The you know the bouncer comes up and hits the guy. He falls onto the ground. I jump on top of him. There's video. It, it yeah, there was video, and <laughs> it you know it it looked really really bad to the point where they thought that I was coaxing him. The guy on the ground or the bouncer? The the, the victim. The they victim. thought that I was like trying to coerce him down the alleyway. Um, when the actual reality is, and, and I will listen, my story has not changed at all because it has been the absolute truth in the video. You see me with my hands open and I kind of motion where you can literally see that I said to him, welcome to Philly motherfucker. <laughs> 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 the reason why is because he was saying he was from Cali and he was going to kill me. And then 
I, I was like, you just got your ass handed to you by three dudes. And now you're coming after me. Like, what's wrong with you? Um, so I, and you know what, this was back in 2013. People were doing bath salts and yeah, dude, eating faces in Florida, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I didn't know what he was on. And, um, it just, it, you know, like I went through court and oh, so let, let me ask just so I'm, I'm trying to get my timeline right. Cause I've never heard this before and I love a good dramatic alley fight. So when he's I did too until, until then. So when he, he's coming at you after he's been assaulted by the bouncer and the two guys, which you yeah, helped to get. <laughs> so you helped this guy to not get stomped by three people then yeah. when he comes to, he starts coming at you afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. And, and like, so when he first came at me, he swung on me and I kind of like leaned back and I pushed him. Now, can I, let me I, pause I, you just for my visual. What are, are we sized up evenly? Because you seem like a taller, larger guy. No, so I am six foot four. At yeah. The top. Maybe like two hundred and fifteen pounds. Whoa! And what? And please don't tell me my man was like five eight one fifty. Don't yeah, be that guy. <laughs> five ten, one sixty five. Oh my god, he's me. That's exactly my stats, Matthew. I mean, he wasn't like <laughs> he wasn't much smaller than me, and that's one thing. My entire life, I I you know growing up. I used to get my ass kicked all the time and my mom would send me back out to the neighborhood because I didn't have a dad. And my mom would say, get back out there and fight until you win. That's what and, moms do without dads. You know? Um, and I'm sure that if my father was alive, he would have said the same thing yeah. because that's just, those were the times that we grew up in, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't like anybody was like beating anybody up to the point where they were like a bloody pole. Um, but you know, I, I did, like, I used to get my ass kicked and I, um, I would just go back out there and, um, you know, I hadn't really been in many fights, um, throughout my life. You know, I, I got into one fight in high school where my bully finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, that's the watershed moment, right? When you finally give it to the bully, you know, and, and it stops it, apparently. That was a situation that, you know, that happened in high school. That was like the one fight that I got into in high school. It was the only fight that I got into in high school. You know, I've never, like, I haven't always, like, I, I just, I, I was never like really a fighter. Yeah. You know? Um, I but, can't, I can't believe this dude comes back at you. So he was just so out of his sorts that he didn't even realize that you had actually, there, there's no video of you helping him because it's more yeah. what down the alley. That was the problem, and this was this wasn't raised in my criminal matter, but it was raised in a civil matter because, of course, you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. You know? <laughs> I was like, I don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out, and now you're you're suing me for a, a million plus. And oh my god, seriously? I, I already have a hundred and seven thousand dollars restitution. What more do you want from me? I lost more than a hundred seven thousand dollars in income. Those two years that I was incarcerated, you know, and also just, just, just as a, uh, a disclosure growing up, like, yeah, like my mom or my brother would say, get back out there and, 
And but the one thing that my mother always said growing up, you never hit somebody that's smaller than you. And, <laughs> right. And so then I started picking on on the older kids. <laughs> I, uh, dude, but, so no video to help you out and no, no, none at all so what happened was in, in, in civil court is that they stayed, well, I actually have the memorandum right here I can't believe you got two years for this man uh, yeah two years followed by uh, I'm sorry, a two to four years. So I was, I was, my prison sentence was a total of four years. I served two years out on the street um, or home. And oh, so you didn't actually have to go to jail. It was more like a probation. I went, I went to jail for two years, and then oh, the years, I was on parole, gotcha. which means that you have enough rope to hang yourself, and you have to keep a clean slate. I mean, regardless, if I get in trouble, I'm going, I'm, I'm going back before the same judge. And that judge is probably going to say, you know what? You deserve another two years. Um, yeah. Finish off your sentence. Yeah. Well, I, I already finished that off. Um, I have four years of probation. Um, I will be on probation until 2024. Wait, so I've um, got to ask you just again, to go like back to the congressional thing. Has there ever been a congressional man elected that's been on parole? <laughs> uh, yeah, lots of them, actually. Stop. You, Have there really? If you Google congressional members with felonies, you'll actually find that Stop. all of them are not for crimes like mine. They're for embezzlement, corruption, oh. um, theft. I mean, like all of your dishonest crimes. And I mean... It's fitting, right? You know, our politicians aren't transparent. They um, seem to be crooked. And when you look up how many current leaders are sitting in congressional seats that have felonies, you're going to be really surprised. Um, I'm literally trying to scroll as you go. And the websites are, I wish there was just like Wikipedia bullet points. Um, uh, no, but- there is a Wikipedia um uh, article and it goes through like how many politicians are sitting in either congressional seats or state congressional seats. Yeah. Um, as like a state house of representative or a state Senator, um, that have felonies. And if you look at all of their crimes, they're for dishonest crimes and, and they still get reelected. Yeah. Well, and- so, Marion so, Barry would be the one that I like recall as a Delawarean with like the crack addiction and the prostitution. Right. And the thing that as an older, so I'm 39, I'm going on, I'll be actually, I just turned 39. So I'll be 40 in a year. Let me, claim, let me claim 39 for the year that I get it. Um, so pre COVID the house intelligence, I believe it was two or three senators sold stocks and made like $5 million. Because they had some intel that COVID's coming and they were like, shit, the market's going to crash. Yeah. And like things like that should be way, at least to me, I would be way more upset at you have that information and you're not putting it out there to help your citizens. But we're going to look at someone who gets into a alley bar fight in a bad way. Like who would you rather have representing Uh, you? That has been kind of like my argument this entire time, but not even – I, I don't want people to look at me like some guy who attacked somebody or 
you know, got into some bar fight. I want people to look at me like, wow. So this guy kind of was a piece of shit. And <laughs> he, he went to prison for two years and completely reformed himself. He is the perfect model of what our rehabilitation should be like. Mm in our prison system and why would we not put him forward to help reform our prison system and you know like the shared experiences that i have whether it is you know being incarcerated or if it's you know with being in in the, the department of corrections or if it's you know with my experience not just doing drugs but selling drugs and being around that entire um montage of criminality right um and then you factor in like my 13 years in healthcare not just as an ophthalmic technician but also as a polysomnograph technician as well as like a billing coordinator and you know practice um manager like i have a very very well-versed background then you throw in the business acumen dude that's broad you know that's broad that's eclectic when I was 13 years old, my friend's mother was taking us to a youth group, and I'll never forget this. Like, my friend Dave Williams, his his mother, um, you know, was driving us, and she she says, you know, if you ever want to be anything in life, try everything. And mm. I mean, I started my first job was at Ulta. Um, it's called Ulta Beauty now, but it was it was called Ulta Salon Cosmetics and Fragrance, and I was a freelance makeup artist. And <laughs> I sold fragrances, and then I left there and I went to go work in loss prevention at Best Buy, and um, then I started my, my my adventure and journey in optometry and ophthalmology. So, and a, and somewhat of a single parent household as well. Yeah, which yeah, is which absolutely. is a whole constituency that gets completely overlooked all the time, and who honestly need the most help as far as providing for their children, and the children need the most support as well. If you think about it, what a government's role should be in their life. Um, so, when it comes down statistically, sixty-five percent of men who are incarcerated come from a fatherless family. Now. Um, when you when you dive deep into the the reasons why, I mean it's 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 quite evident. You know, there's a sing only one parent, and there's no oversight. <laughs> there, there, there really there really is no oversight. They can't. You know, it's it's was impossible. Multiple jobs. I was out running the streets. Yeah. Um, and you know, my mother had this perception that like I. I wasn't, you know, I hit it very, very, very well. Yeah. Or maybe she did know. And she just knew that I would conduct myself and not get into trouble. Um, or or at least not get caught. (laughs) Talk, talk to me if you don't mind about the lessons you've taken from being incarcerated since you had brought that up. That's really interesting because I do wonder how many on a congressional level. So, and you can tell me where I'm wrong on my thinking in this matter. But when you think of Congress, that's the most for the people office of the three that we have in the legislative branch, right? Uh, like you're supposed to be the most connected, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it, it it's very interesting to me that you would have perspectives on that. And I feel like it would be really needed insight to maybe career politicians or people who have not had to experience 
what being incarcerated, especially for two years, which can be small, but at the same time, or can be like not too long, but at the same time is very long, two years. I mean, when in comparison to a lifetime or a, a life sentence, yeah, two years is, is minute. Right. Uh, however, the uh, I, I would say it took me about three to five, I, I want to say, yeah, like four or five months it took me to um, really accept that I was, this was going to be my home wow. uh, for the next two years. It was, it was very difficult. It was, um, you know, there is nothing to humble you more than having all of your entitlements taken away from you. Um, and I say that because we live in an age right now where there is a lot of entitlement that is being exercised. Um, and the conduit to it is it's my right Right. now, you know, when you enter into this, this institutionalized lifestyle, you, sometimes have to ask to go to the bathroom or you um, the most degrading thing ever is how many times I had to get naked in front of people I didn't even know. I've heard that's one of the most dehumanizing it's aspects so of prison. It, it makes, I, makes them feel almost like animals in some sense. Um, and you know, I mean, it, it did like, I, I can't sit here and lie to you. I have always been like a class clown. Um, I've always been, you know, kind of like a jokester. And it got to the point where, you know, like I, I just got so comfortable stripping naked in front of these officers that like I would say crazy things like, yeah. oh, wait, you're not going to take me to dinner first? <laughs> um, you know. But here's the thing. So, you know, when I was – it was about my first or second month that I was incarcerated. I was listening to NPR. I listened to NPR religiously while I was in there. I got more information from NPR than anything else that I got. Oh. Well, how are you Republican? No, I'm just kidding. Keep, keep <laughs> yeah, stay, right. stay with me. <laughs> yeah, stay, NPR stay was like, well, no, it's, it's not, it's not entirely liberal, but, uh, for the most part. So, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I did like I, I got a lot from NPR, but I was I was listening to this one show and they were talking about perception, and that perception is really all that we have, and your own perception can really, really, really change the outcome of your feelings about a certain situation. So, um, in in this podcast, they were talking about how they they did a study. It was on. Uh, traumatic stress, mm. uh, being two children, um, who lived very similar lives of abuse and neglect. Yeah. It can um, change their DNA, like their genes. They physically get altered. Yeah. It, I mean, that, that has very, that is very true. Um, but in this sense, they were talking about, about perception. So, um, here you have two children who are being abused and neglected and locked away. Um, as a punishment. So the one kid is locked in 
um, a cellar. Um, they they bar the the Bilco doors. He can't get out. The conditions yeah. awful. Um, it, it's damp. There's bugs crawling all over him. There's no light at all. Um, and being a kid, that he was terrified, and he felt as though that time went by so slow that it. It was almost like it would never come that he was going to escape from that cellar. Yeah. And then you have this other child who was locked in a closet um, in an attic and the conditions were not awful. They were not damp. They There were no bugs. And, you know, this child who was locked in the closet felt as though that time went by too fast because he was his time being locked away was his time free away from his abuser and that was his perception. Oh wow. But with that perception, time went by really, really fast. And I, I heard it it was almost like it was divine intervention. Yeah, meant for you. you know? It was speaking to you. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make this the best <laughs> The best experience ever. And <laughs> it do not. Um, so like people like nicknamed me Sunshine and it wasn't just because like my hair was like golden blonde and Or the uh, homosexuality. Or right. It it was because they were like, he's like just a ball of sunshine. He's always happy. Like, how the hell can this motherfucker be so happy and we're locked up? Right. <laughs> you know? So I um I really did. I, I changed, I changed my thinking and I, I had it in me before I, I went in. Um, I had this experience where I tried to kill myself and I, I shot two bundles of heroin and when I hit the floor and I like, tunnel vision like i was odin i thought it was the end i was so alleviated but when i woke up man was i pissed so man dude you're giving me so much here to just ask about yeah and and i try to i, I try to i guess not stick to themes because i really do enjoy conversations but i try to group it so that if people want to listen they almost have like a uh, sections but yeah. how do you where are you in life What's your age? What's going through your head to be suicidal? Yeah, so I was 28 years old. I knew that I was going to prison. Um, oh. it, it was the day that I got convicted of my charges. I, um, sorry. You know, I, um, I had just reached a point in my life that I did. I didn't want to live anymore. Are you, and um, are, are you seeing like the end of the optometry career that's putting you there? Or are you feeling like disappointment to family was, members? I was on this path pathway that like I was going to turn my life around and I was like doing so well. I was, I was getting good grades in school and you know, I was going to go to optometry school, university of Houston and and that was like all that was on my mind. And then it all just came crashing down on me at once when the, when, when the judge said guilty and ran through all of my charges and 
I'll never forget the day that day that I'm I'm riding home on the train and I called I called my drug dealer that I hadn't called I, I hadn't talked to in in well over a year and I told him to meet me at the train station. I told him what I wanted and I went home and I mixed it all up and I I I shot it into my vein with the expectation that I was not going to wake up. Jesus. And you know, Sean, I when I woke up at first I was really upset. And then I kinda I, I you know, I, I I was screaming, Why God why? And mm. And it was almost as if God had spoken to me that this is my second chance. And I, um, you know, I, I already knew that I was, I was going to prison. So for the next couple of months, I just used uh, drugs and I mean, I was doing everything under the sun. Because um, you were just in the mentality of like, why does it I matter? Was, yeah, like it, 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 I was. It, nothing mattered at that point. Yeah. I'm already in a jail. What more are they going to do? Yeah, right. Um, although I probably could have gotten in a lot of trouble and gotten more time. Right, for <laughs> sure. For sure. <laughs> I would have done, done my two years and then got extradited back to Delaware. And I'm telling you, nobody wants to do time in Delaware because it's like being a bump on a log. There's, it's just, it's awful. But, uh, you know, I, um, I did, I, I knew that this was going to be the turning point of my life. And, you know, after I heard that podcast, I, I turned my thinking around and I was like, you know what? I've tried to get sober in the past. And like, I was only able to maintain my sobriety. The longest period was almost a year and even then it I was still drinking you know and alcohol was always an issue for me and mm. you know now like people people ask me they're like wait so you don't even drink and I'm like no no yeah I've heard but, that that's a trigger for I actually it's funny man I've rented and not, not take away your thunder but just to add a little bit of perspective to it to show the commonality while I was in college and working in restaurants, I actually had a little trailer and I rented out a room to a recovering addict. And oh, cool. slowly he wound up drinking, as most people in restaurants do. <laughs> we like you get off yeah. late, you you de you relax. So I remember his sponsor, who was the head chef, coming to me being like, You can't let him drink. And I'm like, why not, man? He's just chilling. He's watching TV. He's having a couple of beers. He's like, dude, you don't know what drinking does to an addict. And, yeah. you know, I'm younger. I'm not an addict. I don't have that perspective. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? It's my man. It's my man, Buki, <laughs> right? It's Quincy. Like, he's going to be fine. Like, we're cool. We're great. We get along. We've been together for two months. Like, everything is everything. Four weeks later, he's on the rock again. I, I believe it. Gone. I, like it just slides, man. You stay up late. Your mind starts drifting. You you get these twinges, these intuitions. And I watched him and I'm like, Book, man, it's three in the morning. Like, 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 dude, sh go to bed. We got we gotta be to work in the morning, man. Like, like, we gotta be ready. And he's like, Man, I'm straight, man. I'm straight, man. I'm I'm good. I'm good. And dude was everything but good. And then talking to his mother and understanding the perspective of that, 
of the importance of staying away from substances when you are an addict is yeah. so real in my limited experience. It's, it's, you know, it really is. And I mean, and it's, it's not even just the substances, but it's also the behaviors. And that's, and that's one of my, one of my target points in my platform is that right now what we are doing, and this is my hindsight, our hindsight, what we're doing <laughs> now is we're providing people with seven to 14 day detox and then putting them back out into the real world. Yeah. Same the, environment expectations that they are going to be able to get sober with a small leap of faith. Yeah. But here's the thing. Our, our, our minds are like computers. Okay. So if you program a computer to do something, yeah, man, you hit the number two, what's it going to do? Whatever it, number two is supposed to do. Exactly. So yeah. what happens is that um, the acquired behaviors of addiction turn into criminal thinking as well as – They have uh, to because they, they, they can't sustain themselves in a regular life that you would call – what um, who, who – fuck, man. I wish I remembered the guy. Who was the guy, the white picket fence? Rockwell. Was it Rockwell? No. The ideal American life where they just like paint everything. You're at like a tur- – you're at a table. You're having a turkey dinner. You have the white picket fence. You have the two kids. I think it is Norman Rockwell was okay. that painter. But okay. there, and, um, I shouldn't have cut you off too because you were making a great point and I apologize. That was rude of me. No, no, no. It's fine. But, but um, like I think that's what you were getting at is like the, the mind doesn't go to that because that lifestyle cannot sustain – Addiction. You don't get that lifestyle with addiction. You so, get crime uh, with addiction. Correct. And not even just that, but like there's acquired behaviors and even I mean the littlest things down to your coping mechanisms. You know, if your coping mechanisms change. So what happens is and and I never understood until I got sober because my friend's mom came in one day, we were twenty-one and I think I think we both were twenty one, and it was a Tuesday afternoon. It was, I mean, it oh. was like five minutes afternoon, and people <laughs> wasted. And her mother, who's been sober for ten plus years, comes in. And she's like, "What are you guys doing? You're yeah. already drunk. It's only five past noon. Yeah. We don't celebrate Tuesdays." Right. And I never understood what that meant. I never understood how. Or what she was saying when she said, we do not celebrate Tuesdays yeah. until October. So, you know, like, and that all comes down to coping mechanisms, you know, yeah. like, and what I found was, is that when something good happens, what, have, what did I do? I drank. Celebrate. Something- you got to celebrate. You got to celebrate, man. Let's pop it. I drank. And so every action that occurred or event that occurred in my life somehow resulted in me drinking. Because what happened and when things went bad? You drank. I drank. What happens you know? when you're bored and you got nothing to do? You drink. I drink. Yeah. I mean, it really is, man. It, it's a, it, it's a, like you always associate, you tag it. It's almost like chain smoking at a bar. Yeah, really. Actually, that was the hardest thing that I've ever done is quit smoking. <laughs> I, got, I mean, I kicked a heroin, a heroin addiction and alcoholism, but man. Smoking had you. I, smoking had me. And I, and you know what? I, I, 
the only thing, the only thing that I can really truly say about why I quit smoking was that I was delivered by God because I have no explanation for this one. I woke up one morning and I forgot that I smoked. Stop, was, dude. How, that, that's, that seems so impossible. So, <laughs> but, and, and aside from, and if I can just crack a stereotypical, like evangelical joke, aside from the irony of, God saving a homosexual from smoking. <laughs> can we, right? Can we step aside from that? And then if we just, if we accept that, right? According to all the stereotypes that go along with it, the fact that you really woke up and felt like you, I did. I literally woke up and I just completely forgot that I smoked, and it went by. Like on the third day, I was like, wait a minute, I haven't had a cigarette in three days. And I was like, well, fuck it. I might as well <laughs> not smoke. And I kept on at it. And any, anytime that I had a craving, I just, you know, popped in a piece of gum or I drank a Diet Coke. No, no? I utilized the tools that I received in my rehabilitation while I was incarcerated ah. and divert my focus away from the cravings and i i kept at it and i mean it's been 13 months going on 14 months august 6th that i quit smoking wow and um you know like that that was that was a major achievement for myself but um you know i i was saying earlier that in the state of delaware they're not doing things the right way and they're not doing things the right way in treatment in a lot of places. And it blows my mind that after I had my first town hall meeting um, in, in Claymont, Attorney General Matt Den um, motioned for a lawsuit against Big Pharma um, regarding the opioid crisis. And of mm. course, it, and all of the states have been receiving this money that, uh, whatever the the money from the lawsuit, um, the settlement, they've been receiving all the settlement money. Um, and I find it mind blowing that we are giving it right back to them. How so? (laughs) Wait, wait, how are we giving it right back to them? I am dead serious because what they are doing in the state of Delaware, we only have a few long-term treatment facilities in the state of Delaware. And the really the only way that you can get into those facilities is through the Department of Corrections. <laughs> you know? And the two facilities that we do have, we have Meadowood and Rockford, and neither one of them has the capacity to run as a rehab. And then, you know, you have Recovery Centers of America, and which I just found out, and this is an amazing thing that people need to know, is that Recovery Centers of America have tons of grants, and they can send Delaware residents to another rehab free of charge, um, which is amazing. But not everybody's afforded that opportunity. And what is what I'm seeing is that people are going into Kirkwood detox. They're detoxing for seven to 15 days. And then they're being let out into the, into the, the world at large. And they're given intensive outpatient therapy or treatment. 
And yeah, but if your environment is the same environment, that outpatient treatment isn't going to be worth anything. It's not going to be worth anything because you have to get down to the why. But these people are given medication-assisted treatment. So they're given Suboxone or Methadone. Oh, and that's how the money gets back to the pharmacy because you're using so the money that you got to the put them on pills. process of mm. big pharma rich off of addiction. and Dude, it, I, and I just want to pause and just ask, like, and I've been this, and again, I don't mean to cut you off for listeners. We do not have any kind of visual. We're strictly audio, so we can't read each other's body language. Okay. And I don't I don't mean to be a jerk at all in cutting there. you off from a point. I just try to emphasize your points. Yeah. I've been outside of like connections when people are waiting to get those pills to avoid illegal drugs. I mean And it's sad, man. I mean, like you're talking about mothers just- with babies. Majority of those people who are waiting in line to get their methadone or to get their suboxone, all they're doing. So I'm going to break it down for you like this. Please do. I'll, I'll try not to interrupt. <laughs> of your addiction, and you do not really want to get sober, you will do whatever you can to get your fix. Right. Now, I myself have watched it personally. I've done it myself. I've gone to the doctor, I got put on Suboxone so I could sell the Suboxone so I could get heroin. Wow. And you save one so that way when you know, because you know, the doctors always think that they're smart, but addicts are generally smarter. Well, Um, yeah, because, and again, (laughs) like this is what the fallacy is. Like addicts think about it all day. Doctors think about it in that moment. Correct. And I mean, like, some doctors are smarter than than most, but, like, you you start to get a figure of a routine. Yeah, and you pick up the you pattern. It's tested, or you know that, you know, your doctor is going to call you in for um, a, a script count. Um, and even if your doctor does call you in to go get a script count, do you know how easy it is to call somebody and be like, hey, yo, can I hold, you know, 10 suboxone, <laughs> you oh, know, wow. like those are the things that like I used to do. And I just, when I, when I sat in all of these, these meetings down at legislative hall in Dover, all I kept on hearing was funding, funding, funding. We don't have the funding for long-term treatment. We are trying our best. You know, the biggest crock of shit in this entire state is the help is here. Hotline. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've called it trying to get somebody help, and all they do is tell me the same same things that I already know. There's no beds available at Rockford. There's no avail- available beds at Meadowood. But if you tell them that you're suicidal, you'll get admitted, and then you're like, oh, by the way, I'm detoxing. And then they have to put you into the program. So you sit in um, – however they monitor you for however long until a bed becomes available. And that's how you get your foot in the door. That but- seems, and I'm, I'm just going to use a real local example for me, um, uh-huh. at least lower Sussex County. So troop seven just moved our, and I'm not assuming you're familiar with this. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Um, are you familiar with Lewis Delaware troop seven? They just, uh, built- I'm sorry, you are. 
Yes, I am. Okay, so it was like a homeless cold shelter for a little bit. COVID comes around, like things are up in the air, right? Yeah. But I look at all these resources and I look at can government stimulate jobs? And I look at people who need second chances and I look at people and I've spoken to people much like you who overcome and just want to help. And I look at people who are educated with master's degrees in counseling. And I'm like, how do we not have more resources to help people be at the bare minimum tax paying citizens to help the government make more money? If you look at it just as skeptical as that, don't we want you off drugs so that you get a job so I can milk you for money? Doesn't that just make in a basic sense more sense? Exactly what my entire platform is about. It's getting drug addicts sober. It's getting drug dealers off of the streets. It's getting, you know, criminals out of prison, reformed and back into the economy. Because they're smart. They're geniuses. They know how to do things. Why are you not a value add to society? Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's so funny because, you know, the first time I ever the, – the only time that I went to rehab was in 2010. And my counselor said it himself. He said, if you ever want to find the smartest people around, go sit at a, re- at a meeting at a rehab. Dude, they know. They know. Whatever it is, they know. <laughs> It's true. And so like, you know, there's, there's all of these, these things that can be corrected and they cannot be corrected with 15 days of detox and then intensive outpatient therapy. And then, and then expect the patient to be able to afford their living and pay for their car, their car insurance. And especially with a record, especially with a record, you know, and it's, it's not, it's not conducive to a recovery plan at all. No. And, and I'm, I'm going to say, it and I don't care what it is, is a direct line back into the system. And we need to break that line. I'm, I, I've, I've heard it my entire life. Oh, the system's made to keep you in the system. And I've seen it firsthand. I have seen it. And I was a product of it. But the thing is, is that, and I understand that you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And here's the thing. If I can keep a drug addict alive long enough for them to have that moment, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we are getting the proper resources to keep these people alive. That's why I joined the community response team in Newcastle County and I was holding meetings and or educational classes on how to administer naloxone or Narcan to someone who was overdosing. And the argument that I always hear from people is, oh, well, they did it to themselves or um, addiction is a choice. Okay. Well, yeah. So it's a choice to... To a point, like when you become an addict, man, there's a chemical change where you literally cannot control that. Um, and, and, and that is 100% true. It, it starts out as a choice. Yes. But then it becomes a way of life. Yeah. It, it's a, like any other addiction. Oh my, I can't believe people would actually say that. And sorry if you get offended by that, but you need a little more empathy to understand like, yeah, maybe someone made a choice once, two, three times, 
but your fucking chemical composition, like biologically, you change when you start injecting, snorting, doing these synthetic things, putting these synthetic materials into your body. It, you change. And and that is that is 100 percent true. And, you know, when you get into the neurobiological chemistry of the mind, oh, my and the mind, like, dude, have you not seen a lab rat? Have, have you not have you not seen any of those fucking experiments? You know, when you get the neurobiological chemistry of the mind and, you know, how the D3 inhibitors work and the prefrontal cortex, because the prefrontal cortex is the pleasure center of the mind. It is where our brain responds to reward and our brain does not respond to anything but rewards. Yeah, especially for male adolescents, man, at those like turning points. Yeah. I um, uh, you know, and when I learned about um the the neurobiological chemistry of the mind and 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 addiction, it really 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 changed my perception because every single living human is an addict. Oh, for something. Absolutely. Every single sure. alive is an addict and the reason why is because the brain responds to only one stimuli and that is reward. Mm -hmm. And it's so it's, it's frustrating for me to, to know exactly what works and to see what my state and other states are doing. And I think that there needs to be, I think there needs to be more people like myself in Congress, as well as local, um, Local offices, man. So, I, and I gotta ask you. I was about to say the local part. Why aren't you running for more of a local position um, versus United States? I am so glad that you asked that. I felt so I felt like you were leading me there, and I felt like I needed to. It was like so you put the tee ball <laughs> on the tee, and you were yeah. just like, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, man. I'm about to hit a home run with this one. So I, uh, I. I had a situation back in set this past September, September, 2019. Um, I was living with somebody. We have lived together for several years. Um, it wasn't working out and I had to vacate the premises rather fast and not under my own will. Uh, I mean, it was under my own will, but, it, it just, the situation that had, had transpired was just, it wasn't, it wasn't healthy. It was very, very, very toxic. I had to get out of the situation. So you were looking for some physical safety or you were worried about like, man, I'm on probation. I'm not trying to go back kind of a thing. I don't want another case. I don't want cops coming. All of the above. It was just, yeah. it was, you know, and the time had come. We, you know, it, it just, it is, it, it was, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Relationships can run their course. Um, I had, I had moved home with my mother temporarily until my apartment was ready. So I had already had my apartment lined up. Um, and it was just, it was under construction. Like the person was just moving out and they told me that my apartment wouldn't be ready for a couple months. And I was like, that's totally fine. You know, like I'll stay with my mom. Um, and, um, once my apartment was ready, I, I, I moved in. And the thing is, is that when I moved in to my mother's house, I changed my, uh, my voting registration to a different district, but 
within 60 days, I changed it to a back to the same district that I was in before. And so there was a little bit of question whether or not I could run for office um, on a local level because uh... I hadn't been a resident for an entire year, even though I had only left my district for 60 days. Gotcha. Um, and I, it wasn't in September. It was, it was in October. Um, so, but the biggest question was, and I didn't want to, to go through this entire process. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm going to have to go through it someday if I'm, if I'm going to run for office on a local level. But, um, there was, there was question about my sentencing structure. So my charges were all lumped together, uh, consecutive. So what that means is I served my two years in, in prison and was released out on parole for two years. And then my probation picked up. However, Instead of it being that my incarceration sentence was only for the felony and then my probation sentence was for the misdemeanor charges that I got. Oh, my God. I'm still still serving out, quote unquote, a felony charge. And we're not exactly – I'm not exactly sure whether or not that truly is the case because – I was able to receive my voting registration card. And in order to get your voting registration card in the state of Delaware, when you go to the DMV and you like declare like whatever your party is and you're, you're registering to vote, uh-huh. they run your information through an NCIS, NCIS report or whatever. Like they run a criminal background on you to determine whether or not you're eligible to vote. And in the state of Delaware, and Margaret Rose Henry is is a godsend to me because she did something that really, really, really helps people like myself. You know, she was the person who wrote the law um, that became law for us to be able to vote. Us, and when I say us, I, I mean felons. So um, there's so the reason why I I am running for Congress is because. Basically, I was told that I couldn't run for state office um, because I'm still serving a sentence for my felony, and it would have to go before like the AG's office and all this other stuff. And I was like, you know what? Um, since you're telling me that I can't run for state office, I'm just going to run for Congress because it even states that you can have a, a felony and be incarcerated and still run for Congress. That's say man when you say that out loud it is amazing you know i mean it really is because um the funny thing is like okay so you can't vote but you can vote in congress on resolutions and bills within the house and the like what yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) but you know um i will be 100 percent frank um there were multiple people telling me one thing and telling me another thing and honestly i just said fuck it i'm gonna run for congress and there's nothing you can do about it and is it like a little bit of a you know like I'm running for Congress just to say that I, I ran for Congress because uh, with a felony and 
uh, a past of with your being, brutal honesty, which has been yeah. a completely apparent. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but is needed, right? Like, like who doesn't clamor for the politician that actually speaks? And doesn't True. just go talking points, right? But at the same time, then all of a sudden, someone, whatever, listens to this, sees a Facebook post, and they're like, oh, felon, Matthew. And it's like, yeah, but dude, I'm, I, how come you don't look at that as perspective, Matthew? Yeah, and so <laughs> I, I can't even stress it enough, that, you know, with everything that's been going on uh, lately, and I, I am 100% guilty of this as well, um, because I generalized a situation um, with this entire uh, Black Lives Matter movement versus organization and Antifa stuff that's going on and how like the movement has been hijacked, the organization is corrupt. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I said some things that like could have been misconstrued in, in certain ways. And um, what do you mean? Um, I don't know anything about that. So, um, like when I was talking, so I went and protested, I not protested, but I went to the removal of the Caesar Rodney statue. And the reason why I did that is because, um, you know, I understand that there is, there is pain that is behind the entire, um, idea that is encompassed around slavery, um, so just to pause you at mid breath. So you went to the removal of the Caesar Rodney statue in, in support of keeping it. Yes. Got you. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was on the right side. Okay. So, keep going. Um, I'm sorry. I, I do. I, I believe that our founding fathers statues need to remain. Now, the problem with all of this is at the same time, and I didn't even, I just realized this today when I saw the, the tweet that somebody shared um, in some Facebook group exposing racists or whatever. I don't, it was a screenshot that was sent to me and I laughed because. So many groups. That's not what I was saying. But um, so at the same time that all of this is going on, um, Nancy Pelosi had also said not just take down the monuments of our founding fathers because they were slave owners, but she was speaking on taking down Confederate um, monuments. And first and foremost, I'm all for our history, but I don't think that one, I don't think that the whipping post down in, uh, is it Newcastle or Georgetown? In it was Georgetown. Georgetown. Yeah, no, that was yeah at all. That was a a stone tool that was used to brutalize not just slaves but prisoners. Prisoners. Yeah, and for the most part, which were minorities, law. but prisoners. Right, and and it's a direct reflection of why we have the Eighth Amendment right, and. I just, that doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me that Robert E. Lee is completely glorified on the spectrum that he did something great. No, he fought for the Confederacy and where there's some misinformation that's led about the Confederacy because they were, they were, they were about um, small government and they wanted to be free from the union. And I get it, but 
when you hear the about the Civil War, the only thing that is is tied into the Civil War is slavery. And I um, you know, I was not by any means saying that I was against them taking down Confederate monuments. No, I was saying like what happened with Caesar Rodney and. Can I pause you for a moment? I just want to clarify what was, what was Nancy Pelosi saying and what is the connection? Cause I'm not clear on that. Okay. So Nancy Pelosi had said something about, um, these monuments need to come down. Got you. And you're, and then at the same time, Caesar Rodney had just been taken down. So I'm thinking oh. about, <laughs> about the founding fathers and all of the monuments in, in the United States. It's almost like they're trying to eradicate all of our history. And I'm sorry, but you can't just, you, you can't do that. Like my family members and my ancestors are not, or not just my ancestors. It's like my grandfather was a, was a Jew. Okay. And you know, you don't see Jews saying we need to tear down the um, the concentration camps in Poland. No, because we want to teach our children about huh. about um, the fascist Hitler that invaded our land and imprisoned us, all of us, not just Jews, but all of us. And we want to teach our children about that. We want it to remain as a reminder. And I, I understand, like, and I, I do, I wholeheartedly understand why somebody would want the statue taken down to Caesar Rodney because he did, he owned slaves and I, there's nothing, I can't justify it. I cannot justify it other than the fact that that was something that was part of that time. And also the fact that the reason why they ever brought slaves over was because they could not economically become independent from England without the help of the labor. Well, and didn't the idea and whatever, we're two white guys, man. And at least you're in the minority as a homosexual. I'm nowhere near any minority as a upper middle-class white male. So who am I to speak on any sort of minority issue? But that mentality did come over with them from England. Like it was common practice to have slaves in England as well. That is correct. So it's almost like a built-in culture, not as an excuse, but that's it. it, And it's completely fucked up, but that's part of how economies were built, which is so wrong, but it's why we partner with China. It's slave labor in China. It's slave labor in India. People making fucking dollars on the day over there. Like it's such a wrong thing, but at the same time, do you really want to pay $6,000 for an iPhone if the people in China are making the correct wage? Like it's something, it's such a huge issue that you really have to think about what are you consuming? What are you glorifying? And then how has it been adjusted in a capitalistic global world? It it, it blows my mind to try to wrap my head around it, but it's, it's something where, and Again, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, it's odd to me when I think of those statues, can we not celebrate what people did discounting that people are flawed in general and and everyone's kind of fucked up, man. Like if you dig deep enough, everyone's going to have some sort of 
terrible thing they've done. But- you know, I, I recall um, one of the other um, community activists who I had always had a, a decent relationship with, um, they said to me that this isn't this isn't part of our history. It's a part of your history. Right. When I heard that, I I immediately said, I said, no, it's part of our history. What are you talking about? And then the the other guy says, um, we built this this country. And I said, yes, yes, you did. Yeah. You know? But if it wasn't for Caesar Rodney, if it wasn't for our founding fathers who laid down the framework to be even to be able to have a government to be able to abolish slavery, to be able to move through the civil rights movement and to have the freedoms and liberties that we have today, I think that it is a direct threat to our democracy to take down those statues because what's next communism and i know that that sounds so extreme Hmm. but when you start to look at things that are going on around this country where's the line you just wonder where is the line like washington the line do we we change the name of washington dc and i I haven't gotten into washington's past but i'm gonna assume based on a single book i've read (laughs) that he owned a large, large, large amount of land in Virginia and had to get talked into running for president after the war. I don't remember it being mentioned in the book, but I'm going to assume if you own thousands of acres, you most likely own slaves as well. So I think, um, and I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, I want to say 47 of the 56 or it's 46 of the 53. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a solid majority of our founding fathers. The people who, who signed the declaration of independence were slave owners. Yeah. So if we're going to take down our monuments for these people and listen, I, like it's I, fucked up, I, man. It's fucked up. Like you should not treat a person like property. Hundred percent. It's just absolutely. fucking wrong. You know, I, I'm I'm not discrediting anyone's feelings at all. However, my entire argument for this, for what I did, was for the simple fact that if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have what we have today. And by for that very reason, Caesar Rodney rode his horse. 80 miles in a thunderstorm, the man had cancer to break the tie between George Reed and Thomas McCain. And now why, why George Reed has a school named after him is beyond anything that I can fathom. So that man voted against us declaring our independence. Where's the school? What part Uh, of the state? George Reed school is, if you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I apologize. I believe it's Stuart. Okay. Bear with me for one second. My dog was just ringing the bell to go outside. Go. <laughs> I just hope she doesn't. She kind of manipulates me sometimes to to let her out because there's something out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little but, um, bit of needed brevity. <laughs> here we have the situation that happened on July third or July second of 1776 
where they came to a stalemate. George Reed and Thomas McCain were the two representatives from Delaware who could not come to an agreement, and they were they were they were the the two votes that were going to determine whether or not we declared our independence from the King of England. Yeah, and I don't know if people realize how close that was because the states individually were making a ton of money, especially like ones with ports, not like Delaware, but New York. New York was very anti-union and it was yeah. fucking close, man. Virginia was very anti-union as far as like consolidating. They, they're they like, dude, we have a great thing. Why would we want to like help out Maryland who's lackluster compared to us? Why do we want to <laughs> give our money and our rights and our power to like people like that? They can't figure it out, whatever. Yes. And it was super close and Delaware going on, though we're a super small state, it, it all adds up because you need, I, I believe, wasn't it 11? Didn't they have to have 11 of the 13 in order to declare independence? Yeah, um, they did. Um, but those 13 colonies uh, at the time, I was just looking for the book <laughs> that I was reading. And man, I wish, I'm sorry, you probably that's shitty audio and I should have been prepared figuring that this was a political conversation. But like I just read a Founding Fathers book and I was amazed at how tight and contentious and how much the states hated each other just for the states to get aligned and for the states to step up and be like, dude, we're going to combine was a huge step. It really was. Absolutely. And you know, um, another, you know, a part of my platform is education. They don't teach in school that the Canadians and the French burnt down the White House in 1812. Hmm. You know, so like the War of 1812, yeah, they talk about the War of 1812, but <laughs> nowhere in our history textbooks, at least for my generation, nowhere or the school that I went to, <laughs> nowhere in that American history book did it say they burnt down the White House. Yeah, I don't know. Washington, and they burnt the White House down. The White House that we see now is not the same White House that was originally built. It's not the same White House that George Washington was in. They had to rebuild it. And I found that out from a Canadian friend. Because they apparently they glorify it. The Canadians do? Yeah. They're happy? Like that's a celebration day that they came to America and burnt down our White House. Um, hold on. (laughs) Before you get on record for saying something else, right? That could be construed as reckless. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's, it's an interesting point. And I've spoken to, um, actually Cliff, he was a professor and I think he actually just got a new position, but he was, or may still be a professor at Delaware State University. And it's the first conversation I had with someone who works at a historically black university. And my mind was blown with what he was telling me. And he's a local boy as far as down here. Like he was in Lewis, he's experienced racism. And it was great gaining the perspective of just how much credit is taken away from the African-Americans for all their contributions to the society. Like we don't have an American society without African-Americans. Like you just, you just don't and it's fucked up and it's totally wrong. 
And at the same time, my mind is like, but do we need to take away from people who were doing things that are completely wrong now in 2000, but were seen as normal and they had great, actually like historical contributions. It's something I really like, I I don't know where I fall on that spectrum because you can see the arguments for both sides. You really can. And, you know, I have never once denied um, the feelings or the, the level of hurt or even the reason why um, it was being petitioned to take down. Yeah, dude, you got to um, get it. Like, dude, he's a fucking slave owner. Like you treated people, humans, like they were a bed huh? frame. Like, yeah. like, like, like they, they, they were produce. It's just fucked up. It, it really is. And, you know, like. It, it's, it's so hard to fathom. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if there's words for it. And I'm, I'm not trying to like get you in a gotcha moment or anything like that. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. But, um, but as I was saying earlier, um, I just found an article, Smithsonian Magazine, how Canada celebrates the war of 1812. Oh, just Googling it, huh? <laughs> you know, I, but you're going to learn very, very, very fast. I, in this entire process, I have not told a single lie. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and just to um, piggyback on your educational system issues, Juneteenth, the fact that Governor Carney came out after, you know, Black, Black Lives Matter protests, all these things, I had literally never heard of Juneteenth until that day. And I'm a 39 year old man. had no recollection. Actually, you know what? I just lied to you. I watched an episode of Atlanta with Donald Glover and had heard about it a week before because there was an episode like that's amazing. I think I, and I, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this, but I think it was discussed in the movie Amistad, but I'm not certain that I've heard it before, but I didn't, I didn't, I, Listen, I'm guilty too. Yeah, well, it goes to the educational point you were making about like, what are we, yeah, right? What are we teaching? What are the textbooks? What is the information going to people to help our future leaders? Why wasn't that ever taught in our schools? Or maybe it was taught in our schools and we're just so white privileged that we didn't see it. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, that's a very real, that's a very real reason, right? Because it's hard to connect to those things when you're, when you don't experience them, it really is. It's hard to understand it. You can have, you can say you have empathy all you want. So like it, you can actually say you have empathy to people who have served time in jail because you've experienced Correct. it. You understand it. It's very hard for me to be like, dude, man, two years must've sucked. I feel you. And you can look at me and be like, wait, did you serve two years? Did you serve a month? Did you serve six months? Get the fuck yeah. out of my face. What are you talking about? Like, dude, you don't know what that feels like. And that's, I feel like that's the huge difference, but at least now I feel like the majority of people are willing to listen, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. It's to tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm fucking up. Tell me what I don't understand. Help me to understand kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Um, but, and I don't know if we ever like actually finished it, man. Like, so what went down at the Caesar Rodney statue? Um, so I mean, they were already going to take it down and that was that. Um, 
everyone was just so heightened in their emotions and the way that it was it was described from a different point of view other than my 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 own you know because i liked you know i i want to be honest here so when i approached rodney square um i said very loudly to the police officers are we really going to let this happen Mm. Um, it's because of this man we have what we have today and and, you know I um, I did I I was yelling but I was yelling because I didn't have a bullhorn (laughs) (laughs) okay I wasn't being aggressive I was yelling so people could hear me yeah. You know? And, and, and I'm sure part of that too is, man, dude, you're six, four. Like when you yell, if you're, if you have that size, you're, you, you have a statue to you when you speak that loudly. So, um, on, on that topic of like intimidation, um, there were several people there. There was a woman who had a Rottweiler. Oh, who wow. Was standing in front of myself and Lauren Witzke. Um, Almost as if he was like trying to entice the dog to attack us or something. And then when one of the community activists and I were, were talking, um, or, or we weren't arguing. We, we were, we were talking um, (laughs) in in very heightened voices. I'm assuming (laughs) both come from very similar cultures. Um, the loudest one is right. (laughs) sometimes sometimes when you um i i there's there's not a lot of boundaries yeah when people get passionate man and you you can express it in very passionate ways because it gets personal there was no there was no seeing eye to eye and you know that and it was really really unfortunate that um there, there was just no, there was no talking to anybody. There was no talking to me because I'm, I'm just, I'm dead set in my ways anyway. But um, not saying that I don't have the ability to sit down and listen to somebody because that's what I've been doing. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing. And and this is probably going to be the most important part of the podcast. And I'm sorry that I, I'm sorry to those who are listening now that I'm, I'm leaving the most important thing for the very last. Oh, but, wait, um, no, this is not the very last, dude. We're going like four hours, by the way. This is gold. <laughs> this is gold. I, I'm so enjoying this. Um, I'm so, sorry that I'm boring you, but I'm, I'm loving it. Go ahead. I had, a, I had a stroke in May, and I was released from the hospital the day before the, the, the removal of Caesar Rodney, and my sister came to take care of me afterwards um, for a week, and her and I went down to Dover, and we went to the fairgrounds, because I wanted to show her, like, the, you know, the city of Dover. And there was this, like, pop-up church <laughs> in the middle of the fairgrounds. And, you know, my sister is is very, 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 very religious. She's very Christian. And, you know, it was the perfect time. Mind you, I hadn't ever met my sister before, too. Like, we oh, found wow. Oh my God, dude, you just drop so much all the time, but keep going. Good so, grief. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're talking over each other, but I just want to point out like, again, originally I believe you had Judaism in your family and now we're at Christian and now we're at a sister. We've never met, but 
regardless, <laughs> stay the track, keep going. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and here we are at the Dover Fairgrounds at Legislative Hall, and there's this pop-up Christian worship that's going on. And what's the pastor talking about? He's talking about how we need to listen more and talk less. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, so when I first started my journey in optometry, um, I worked at this office downtown Wilmington and I worked with this woman who has been like a mother to me my entire life. She is black. Her daughter, who I call my sister, um, reached out to me after all this stuff happened with Cesar Roddy. And she said, Matt, you need to stop listening and stop talking. Mm. And I was like, I know, I know. I'm like, so sorry. I know what it looks like. And it's, it's not like that. And she was like, you know, like, I'm really disappointed in you. And I was like, Crystal, but like, you don't understand. Um, and then like, you know, her and I were able to talk about some things and, um, I did after hearing that pastor talk, I, I, I did, I started listening more and I didn't just start listening to one side over the other. I just started listening to everyone. And so this important. so crucial that people hear this right now because we are being divided and led by a false narrative. And the reason why I say that is because we have established this word defund and it's followed by the police. <laughs> Very true. Right? Yeah. And when the argument comes in of defunding the police, people say, oh, well, it's not what it seems. No, it's really not what it seems. In actual reality, we take away that D and we make it an R because in reality, it's refund the police. Okay? Huh. And I, I haven't heard that. I say that because... First and foremost, to have community policing, you have to hire more officers. <laughs> I can't make this shit up. I, I have been you. reading um, models from the Nas National Institute of Justice. I have been reading um, DOJ um, citations, and I like I have dug deep into all of this and. What I have found is that even the police want to quote unquote defund the police. Because it gives the opportunity to get more jobs or more police officers? No. First and foremost, um, we should not be saying defund the police at all. That was a false narrative. And the reason why it was created is because number one law enforcement think they're trying to take our jobs. Number two, people who support the police now think, Oh my God, they're going to leave us in a lawless land. Okay. Okay. But 
when you factor in community policing, you need more officers. When you factor in body cams, that requires money. When you factor in certain divisions, now Newcastle County already has all of this stuff that they're talking about. Okay. Um, each community has a community liaison officer who reports to civics association meetings. They are out in the community. They're meeting people, not as much as we would like, but they've already started it. Okay. But what we're hearing is defund the police. Yeah. Which is why I'm interested. Like, why do you go to the community level? Because defunding police you see as a state police thing where you still have these like town cops? Yeah, no. Um, so have you ever heard of the Camden model? No, not at all. Please okay, explain. So the city of Camden, um, completely dismantled their police because their police union was absolutely corrupt and they were getting absolutely nowhere. Um, the, Murder rates and uh, gun violence had risen to an all-time high. They were number one in the entire nation for gun violence and murder, um, violent crimes. I mean, it had become the deadliest city in all of America. And what they did was they dismantled the local police department because there was no saving it. It wasn't. It wasn't because it was the. It, there was like other choices. There were no other choices because there was no saving that police department at all. They had to restructure everything. And what happened was Camden County police then took over. Oh, because the there's always some sort of form of authority. Correct. So gotcha. here's the thing. Even, even within religion, they talk about government and safety and police okay it just may not be in the in that very context so what ended up happening was they had to hire more officers because they were implementing the structure where they were putting the police officers out on foot on bikes to be more personal personable Personable. Why? Which because should be the town model where you would want more people living in your town growing up being like, oh man, you coached me in Little League. Now you're a police officer. You know all my friends. We're all the knuckleheads running around. You know, and I'm a firm believer and I, I've been saying this, the next most important thing next to family comes community and then our local than federal governments. So, this is and I'm going to, just to emphasize your points, and again, man, I really don't mean to cut you off. I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way. And I hope you don't, I, I don't think you're taking it that way, but I feel like I just have to apologize because I feel like <laughs> I come across that way. Um, <laughs> Cliff, again, the DSU um, professor, that was one of his uh, action plans. And that was one of his things was he was so into, we used to have community policing where you actually didn't even need police because it was more like, boy, do I need to tell your uncle? Do I need to go get your aunt? Wow. And cops, if they're from the community, can take that role on where it's like, we don't need to, you, almost in your situation, you know what, man, you, you fucked up. You, you beat some dude's ass. Does this need to be a felony or can I just get you home to your mom? 
You know, and like there's something lost in the beauty of knowing people and understanding well, the why. So I, you know, I've been able to identify one of the leading contributing factors to all of these issues. And it all comes down to the fact that we as Americans have lost our identity and the, the former identity that we had was you know, you move into a neighborhood, you get greeted by your neighbors with a bunt cake. Everybody knows your name. Yeah. Uh, your kids play outside until the lights come on. Then they come home. You know, we're sitting down at six o'clock with our families to, to eat dinner. But what has happened was in World War II, when women went to work, It introduced a two-parent working system so where much money. it destroyed the American family. Ah. When we destroyed the American family, we in turn destroyed our communities. Real dude, that's an interesting take. You know? And I have been saying this for years, you know, and it was something that was one of my talking points of one of my first town hall meetings and why I stressed so much on the unification of our community because it's written in the laws of the land that we are strength in numbers. You know, we the people, it's written right there. And we've lost that because in order for us to survive, both parents do have to work. And to thrive for sure. <laughs> yeah. If not, you know, there's yeah, a lot of burden that's being placed on the father because he has to work extra hard. And then, then you're coming into another fatherless type of family because the father is always absent because he's always working. And we need to be able to find that balance to be able to restore American core values um it really you know it's interesting and just it it the thing that got brought up in my mind is italy so italy with covid why is italy why, why is everyone dying in italy right death 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 mortality well everyone lives together in italy and i'm yeah. like would it be terrible if you had grandparents living with you so then well, if the parents are working you have that oversight and you get that community feel where if people are running around, there are at least elders looking out. And it's interesting that in America, that wasn't the thing. It was more like nursing homes versus your home. Yeah. And right. And like, to me, that was a very interesting dynamic in cultural shifts where Italy, Corona, death, everyone lives together. And it's like us can't send old people back to their homes. And it's like, well, wait, why can't older people be a part of their homes and families to keep the community and culture going? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was talking with um, one of my buddies from the you know Black Liberation Movement. Um, yes. I have friends who are part of the Black Liberation Movement. For those who think that I'm racist, 
Wait, so I got to pause you, man. Like that Caesar Rodney video, like blew your stuff up like that. Yes. Oh my God. Really? Like, and it it was just, (laughs) people were saying that I am a racist. This girl, Brianna Henson, and I'm going to blast that, that girl right now. Thank you for not cursing. (laughs) Not only led to people calling my job, but she got some girl fired from her job because of her blast campaign that she was having of exposing people who were racist. And the problem with that is the fact that right now, if you don't agree with anything on the left side, you're automatically labeled as a fascist, racist, bigot, xenophobe, homophobic asshole. Hmm. And it doesn't matter if you are or you're not any of those things, you know, and that's the automatic label that is given to all of us um, collectively as a whole. And it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And this poor girl messages me on Facebook and is telling me that she's literally in tears that she just packed her stuff at her office because this girl, Brianna Henson, got her fired from her job. Now, How? this girl... Uh, I, I, I guess you're assuming to get into it, but I, I am wondering, like, how does Brianna Henson get someone fired? She sent some stuff to the girl's employer and was implicating that she had made racist comments and basically argued like, are you going to let this person represent your company? And they let her go. Oh, wow. And And you're saying the girl did not make these racist comments. No. And what was it at the Cesar statue? The same thing you were involved in? Um, she just wasn't agreeing with the, the people taking advantage of the movement. Hmm. So it's wrong. It, it's, it's really wrong to go after people's jobs. Um, so, it's almost like you don't have a personal life anymore. Well, can I pause you for a moment? Because sure. like I've seen, man, it might've been a month or two ago where there was like an older white man that snatching snatching posters, I think it was Black Lives Matter posters in DC off of a fence. And he was like, your lives don't matter. And he fucking worked at a court. And the dude got fired. And when he did, I feel like if you're in a governmental position... And you're willing to say while knowingly being recorded, (laughs) regardless of what you think privately, dude, you're willing to say that out loud being recorded. I can't imagine what you think privately, that your lives don't matter. And he lost his job. I, right. And then you got, then you got the typical Karens, the Central Park Karen who calls the cops and say she's being assaulted when clearly she's not being assaulted. She loses not only her job, but her dog. 
because she tries to use race to put a minority in a position of fear. And the minority is like, nah, man, I ain't doing nothing wrong. Go ahead. Go with it. See what happens. So, and I'm not saying that to like get you. Again, I, I, it's probably me overcompensating because I try to do this trust thing because we don't know each other and I don't want to offend you. But it's, there, there is some real fear on that side of like, what the fuck are you saying, man? Like, you can't say that shit. And that's why I'm interested in like what this girl was saying or doing and the repercussions because I, I don't know if it should take her job in a private industry, but I do understand that this happens very often to minorities. Like it, they, they get, I don't even know the word for it, man. Like they get mislabeled. Was that too much of me talking? I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to. It wasn't. Um, it was giving me time to look for the, the messages from this girl. Okay. <laughs> I felt like you were doing something, but that, I guess that's why I'm interested, which is like, what did she say? And why was it so much? Was it more like, Oh, gotcha. Five second clip. Let me get you fired. Cause I'm angry. Or was it like some authentic, like government worker where dude, you're in a position of authority and you're now exposing yourself as someone who's extremely biased. And that, that's where my curiosity goes. Yeah, I um. <clears throat> or is that a setup question? If you want to move on, man, I get it. Because I'm not expecting you to know everything. Oh, so I, I'll be honest. I, um, so like, this was like after I had my stroke. <laughs> right? <laughs> like if we can include the medical condition to understand context. Yeah. Um, well, no, I just, I, I can't really remember exactly what it was that she had said. I just know that the girl, the, the girl Brianna got her fired. Yeah. And basically what you're saying is the girl that was fired did not meet the criteria that Brianna Hansen is trying to get her fired for. Like it, it's almost like one of those misunderstandings where like, dude, can we just get a drink and just fucking talk? Yeah. And I love, and that's part of why I like this podcast, Matthew. Like I love the fact that we've been going on for almost two hours and it's just a conversation. And I, I apologize when I feel like I offend you and I feel like you take that in like a, wow, Sean's not trying to be a dick. He's not trying to set me up. He's just authentically wondering. And I feel like that should happen in those type of situations where maybe those two just needed to meet up in a de-escalated environment for like 35, 45, 55, however long it takes and like figure each other out. And then if it's that big of a deal, come out with an, like a statement and be like, dude, I was wrong. I, I, I completely had the wrong mindset. I apologize. And then you're fine. Absolutely. Um, I'm talking too much, man. I apologize. It's a getting to know you pod. And I, I (laughs) like, right. And I was just trying to, I felt, I felt like I got you in a, in a, in a weird position and I was trying to over talk it because I don't want you to say something that you haven't been able to like actually research. And I feel like that's wrong of me. No, it's totally okay. Um, I still don't see it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm like all the way to June 11th. Dude, so there's something that I actually looked for and I couldn't find. So maybe we can pivot and talk about this. The GOP primary, there was a Delaware online news article, and I believe you were in that article about you did not attend the Republican primary where they voted to endorse. Am I correct about that? Um, that is correct. I showed up at the GOP convention at about 8 a.m. <laughs> um, I was under the understanding that we were going to present to the various county committees and then um, ask for our nominations. And then when I was approached um, by the party, I was asked who was nominating me. And I was like, um, what? I thought that, like, you know, this is one of those situations where, like, the quorum is like, oh, I nominate them. You know, like, like I was going to plead my case of why I should be nominated. Yeah, right. This, um, Which should actually... Which seems like it should be like if you feel like you match the party's principles, you should be able to go up there and like tell these people, hey, man, this is why I feel like you should believe in me. That seems reasonable. Absolutely. So um, I. So I was put into a position where I and I had never done this before, you mm, know, got um, you. and I, I was put in a position where like I had to go around and ask people, mind you, I show up in a, in a suit. Okay, it's uh, like already 90 degrees at nine o'clock in the morning. And the humidity level is probably 85 percent. So I ended up changing my clothes into uh, <laughs> air shorts and uh, a pink shirt. I had a book bag on. I probably looked like a Mormon. And, and I, I won't even get into the pink shirt reference, but keep going. <laughs> I apologize. Um, you know, one little book bag. Um. So, um, you know, I, I go around and I, I'm asking people if they would nominate me and the response that I got from people was very visceral. Can I ask you, because I am so curious about this process and I've had a couple other people, um, who have gone through the nomination process for their own party on the pod. Correct. Who are, and I believe it was like over 300 delegates determine who gets nominated or who gets endorsed for the Republican party. And I don't know who many, I don't know how many delegates endorse the democratic one, Yeah, but uh, I'm wondering who are, is, is there a stereotypical type of person? How are these delegates? Like, how do they get their position to nominate whoever? Um, so the delegates are your stereotypical Republicans. And I'm just going to say that I'm not scared to say it. Um, they shouldn't be our delegates because they keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again, every election year, yeah. which is and why Republicans get outvoted two to one in Delaware. <laughs> you know? and it's like, they think that, you know, or what was told to me was that the Republican party doesn't want me representing the Delaware Republican party. That was and actually that, spoken like literally words spoken to you. 
Yes. And did they give you specific, what about you? Did they not want rep? Was it the homosexuality? Um, I'm sure that's probably. What or was it, I mean, like there's so much, but, right, Matthew? There's so much. There's felony, <laughs> Matt. There's like pre- previously at addicted, Matt. There's homosexual, Matt. Like you know, there's so like, much that's anti-Republican, which is why I love you running as a Republican, because you clearly have business savvy, which matches up, but um, so much about your life is non-Republican in a stereotypical way. Yeah. And so like that argument always comes up, right? Yeah, and I'm sure. So when I tell you what my political views are, you're going to be like, oh, well, yeah. So I can totally see you being a Republican. Um, <laughs> also, <laughs> um, I was raised in a very, very staunch Republican family and what happened was my family instilled this level of morality and ah. of um, that aligns with the Republican Party's core values. And it's not just fiscal responsibility, but it's a belief in a national um, national security and defense. I was raised in a Marine Corps family. You know, my grandfather was the second highest ranked Marine of his time. And um, when it comes to being pro-life, I believe that the life of a child starts at conception. Um, Man, that is so hard. Can we pause for a moment there? And again, this is not a got you moment. It's just something I've gotten into in previous podcasts that I've... Really, and I don't know where I fall, man. I really don't. Because what cell, what amount of cells constitutes life, right? Like the single cell, or now all of a sudden you, like now, now you're a double cell, and now all of a sudden we're splitting, and now you maybe have earlobes, or, and, <laughs> and, and it's like, how do you draw the line? And here's where I get we're like very interested in um, viewpoints. And I'm actually hoping you can educate me on your viewpoint. Because when do you actually get your own rights, though you are being supported by the your, your mom? Your host. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, your host. That's a great point because it doesn't have to be a mother at this point in science. But yeah. like, dude, that really fucks oh. with me. Just as, as an individual, more like moralistically, you're like, does the mother actually have the choice? Because when does the fetus have the rights of a citizen to live? You know, like, like that, that's a really weird or a very hard question to draw a line in. You know, when the topic of, of abortion comes up, um, my stance is... Roe v. Wade is already a federal, um, it's, it's a federal mandate. There's, there's no changing it. It's law. Um, and I think that it's not a topic that as a United States house of representative should, should divulge into and simply it's already law. Gotcha. Whatever my state chooses to do, that is on 
them, but I can't change the law. Mm. I can't, I can't, you know, and I won't because I think that where it's at right now is just, it is what it is. And I'm not the one who is going to be judged for having an abortion because I'm not going to have one. I can't, (laughs) Um, but moreover, and this is, this is where sometimes I, I, I piss some people off, but I, I believe as a gay man, who am I to say that a woman cannot have an abortion because it's against my beliefs? I can't. I can't because I don't want somebody saying that I can't have sex with another man because oh. that is how I am. Because of the beliefs. Because the pro-life belief is fundamentally Christian and being no, anti-homosexual or I shouldn't put words that's into your, I shouldn't put words into your mouth, but what I'm assuming is anti anti-homosexual is also fundamentally Christian. No, no, no. It, it has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with the fact that I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my body. Oh, freedom of personal choice. Got and- you. And the thing that really, really, really upsets me is that as Republicans and as conservatives, we promote individual freedoms and liberties, Ah. yet wants to tell somebody what they can and cannot do with their body. And I don't agree with that. That is the one thing of the party that I do not align with at all. And it's because it's hypocrisy. How am I going to sit there and tell somebody that they can't have a gender reassignment or they can't have an abortion when I don't want somebody infringing upon my individual freedoms and liberties of my homosexual being. Dude, and man, I can't believe I've gotten to the age I am and I hadn't thought about that. But that is somewhat hypocritical. If you are the party of freedom. It's not even somebody is hypocritical. I, I, I guess I'm trying to like cover yeah. my own ass in that sense. <laughs> no, <laughs> no pun intended. One of, the, one of the most frustrating things, and if you go back on um, some of my Facebook posts back in May or even April, whenever the reopen um, rallies started, okay, I had made a post and it said, in quotes, my body, my choice. Stop making us look like hypocrites. Because what was happening was started using the phrase, my body, my choice, as a conduit to not wearing a face mask. And it doesn't work that way. You cannot use a phrase that liberal, pro-choice people use. I've seen it. As their defense for why they are pro-choice and turn around. And as a person who is pro-life, use the same catchphrase to represent your individual freedoms and liberties for your argument of not wearing a face mask. It is a double standard on, on a great magnitude that I cannot stand for. And I, and I know that, there are some Republicans that really, really, really have a distaste for me because I said it. But you know what? I'm not sorry that I said it because it's true. Again, my entire campaign, I haven't told you one lie. 
No, man. I mean, you honestly, and we spoke what for 10 minutes, a couple days before we scheduled, we spoke for maybe 10 minutes before the pod. And most of that was me waiting on you to, uh, feed your cat. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you, so this is me based on whatever, two hours. Like you do seem super authentic with your beliefs and that's a very valid point. And it takes me to the point where I wonder how many of those, I'm just going to call them 300 plus. Do you know, like, can you look into the eyes of those 300 plus delegates and like how many of those people do you actually know? How many do you feel know you? How many are willing to listen to you versus want to hear your talking point and like, oh, gay male, X, never mind. Do you know what I'm saying? And I I don't mean to reduce you to just being a gay male, but like, I feel like that may happen in that circumstance. And if I'm wrong, feel free to correct me. And and the the argument there is going to be, oh, well, we endorsed or we supported Gene Chirono with open arms and I hate that argument. I hate that argument. It was like when Chris Rowe used the word faggot on a social media platform with public settings so the world could say, hmm. and then completely downplayed it without even apologizing because he was completely unapologetic about the entire situation. And turn around and his argument was, well, I have gay friends. Okay, well, I have black <laughs> Like, dude, I was about to say it. Like, dude, uh, like, I know I, I got plenty of black people I can call. I'm I'm not no, saying the N-word. Like, I'm not dropping that thing. Entire time. And so, and then, like, and then his his son posts a picture of, of him for, like, his birthday. And he's like, happy birthday, dad. You're my favorite faggot. And I'm like, Whoa. what is going on here? Like, they're just, now they're just being plain and outright fucking disrespectful dude that yeah wow about it and i said chris you do not get to use that word i don't care who you are i don't even use the word you know unless i'm using it as a reference but like dude, I it's derogatory like, as hell it's not only derogatory but it's also emasculating yeah. to any man and yes. i and as a gay man okay as a gay man I will tell you right now, I can shoot better than most men that I know. I can fight better than most men that I know. I can run, jump, play sports way better than most men that I know. And how am I emasculated Mm. by doing any of those things? I'm not. So why would you call me a faggot? I'm not a faggot. Okay? And that's like when I told my grandfather that – I was gay. I was scared shitless. And the the one thing that my grandfather said to me was, okay. And I was like, what do you mean, okay? <laughs> Especially from someone like old school like that, dude. Like you don't expect that. Yeah, no, no, you, you really don't. You know, like my grandfather was a master gunnery sergeant of the Marine Corps. And, you know, I, I didn't want to tell my grandfather because I was afraid that he was going to ostracize yeah, me. Yeah, I bet. And... The words that rolled out of his mouth were, I know that my grandson's not a little bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Regardless when, of your orientation, you ain't no bitch. 
orientation, my grandfather knew that I was not a little bitch, you know? And when I hear the word faggot, it, it's a emasculating, demoralizing word that is, yeah. it is a, it, it's a slur. And Dude, it is a slur for sure. Factual. And you should not be using it. This, I, I don't care what people do in the privacy of their own homes, if they're with their buddies or whatever, like I, I, I've heard it, you know, like I grew up with six brothers, you know? Yeah. We called each other faggots. And that was before I had my beliefs. And, you know, like I might be with a couple of my guy friends and they might say, Oh, you're such a faggot. And I won't get upset because they're my friends. But when you're calling random people on a social media platform, faggots, it's distasteful. It's very crass and it's unacceptable behavior, especially for somebody who serves as a chair to one of the Republican committees in our County. Wow. You know? And so, and are those the type of people that like, does he have a delegate vote? Is he sitting there where he has to say, yeah, I endorse you, Matthew, or I do not endorse you. Um, I, or does he have influence? Exactly. Sure. Um, but I will say this, I, I would say 95% of the people weren't under the age of 45. The delegates? Yes. Oh, that's way younger than I thought, actually, to be honest with you. I thought Uh, like older guys. Listen, I'm being very, very, very nice. Most (laughs) of the people were geriatric age. You know, like, oh, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying not to be disrespectful. Because, yes, like, I understand. You know, I understand because you're still running, man. And like these may be people you have to work with and have their support. Right. Uh, and I mean, what really, really killed me was the fact that I went up to seven individuals that I have known for a very long time. And the one individual looked me dead in my face and said, I will not nominate you. No way. And the only reason why he said that was because there was people around. The only reason why any of them said no is because there was people around. And I wanted to yell and scream that each and every one of you have donated to my campaign. Stop, dude. You know? And then they're like, and, and some of the people were like, oh, well, we endorse Lee Murphy. And I'm like, well, you didn't endorse Lee Murphy when you donated $200 to my fucking campaign. And now I'm going to put that on my campaign finance report. Why do you think the change? Or, or could they have been possibly donating 200 to you? Could they have just given each candidate $200? Or is that not like plausible? I I don't know, but what I do know is what I saw and what I witnessed. And what I witnessed was a bunch of fake two-faced people that I don't want to be associated with. And I'm sorry, but those people do not make up the GOP party. The, 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 the Republican party that I signed up for was the Republican party that freed slaves that were against voting for the Jim Crow laws that stood by our black men and women during the civil rights movement and helped them achieve all that we have achieved in our history. 
And it's not this, this, this party where, you know, they're saying all lives matter. I'm sorry, but to say that there is no systemic or institutional racism in this country is not only ignorant. Oh, it's stupid. It's stupid, dude. Disrespectful to the black community. 100%. Like, dude, and I'm I'm sorry. I'm just trying to emphasize your point. And I, God, fuck, man. I'm sorry, Matthew. I don't mean to cut you off, man. No, it's totally okay. Like, artificial intelligence has proven it has bias. Because why? It was constructed by a majority of white males. Like, it's it's inherent, man. Like, people are biased, and you have to acknowledge it and try to work through it and understand it and listen, much like you were saying. I apologize for cutting you off. Please yeah. go on. Well, I mean, so as I'm saying, like, it's it's disrespectful and it's very, very, very ignorant to say that there is a systemic or... or um, you can't. You can't say there's not systemic racism. And the reason why I can say this is because not only did I grow up in a single mother family, um, but... My mother and I lived in the city for a short period of time when I was a kid. I went to public schools. I went to prison. I, I went to jail. It wasn't really prison, but... <laughs> Is there a difference between, between prison and jail? Am I wrong about that? <laughs> Prison is like long term. Jail is like short term. <laughs> okay. Got you. All right. Um, but... <laughs> It's like you're in with a different caliber of criminals. Got you, got you, got you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in 2006, I violated probation for smoking marijuana. And the judge who I uh, – anyway, the, the judge sentenced me to 60 days mandatory uh, level five incarceration. And when I got out, my mother took me to the DMV. And so I could get an, an, a new ID. Um, that very day, it was, it was part of the stipulations for um, my release that I had to go get a, 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 a driver's license and I had to like work to certain stuff. And um, so my mom takes me to the DMV. And when they asked me what my party affiliation was, I said Republican. And my <laughs> mom turned and looked at me in absolute awe. Surprise! Because I was a registered Democrat. Oh. And my mom said, "Why all of a sudden change?" And like my mom, she almost—it was almost like she felt guilty, like she was like influencing me to do that. (laughs) After what I just witnessed, I don't ever want to give any of them my vote ever again. Really? Because. What I witnessed inside that institution was not humane at all on any level. The conditions were disgusting. They were awful. Um, I was treated like being a white gay male in prison is a lot different than being a black gay male in prison. Okay. I feel as though that, um, gay black men have it a little bit easier than gay white men because the roles are reversed and 
we're the minority, right? Oh. Oh, with being able to experience this, and I, I hope I didn't offend anybody saying that, but no, no, dude, I'm, I'm, being able I'm enthralled. To experience that reversal put things into perspective for me and seeing the conditions within the, within the walls of the correctional institutions in the state of Delaware and how I was treated by the guards, by the counselors, by the psychiatrist, by the psychologist. What do you mean when you say how you were treated? Like it was uh, worse, it was better because you're in this minority uh, standpoint within the uh, prisons? Listen, I was treated so badly, except for the woman, the woman who was in booking and receiving was a doll. I really, really, really adore her. But everyone else, like I, I felt like I was treated like I was subpar, like I wasn't human. Wow. Like I was an animal locked in a cage. And when you speak to the guards, they ignore you. Um, they ignore your requests. Um, you can say, you know, like, um, I'm bleeding out of my ears and they won't even look, you know, like what I witnessed was not what I would have imagined. You know, I would have imagined that if we don't want people to go to prison, we would help them not (laughs) go to prison by implementing some type of system that helps the individual be better than they were yesterday. Mm. You know, part of my prison reform platform is programming. It's so important. I want to introduce a bill that mandates if a person has a certain amount of time, it is required by law that they, one, get an education, and two, if they meet the criteria through whatever weighted scale um, is in their classification to determine you know, their – their scores of recidivism and uh, they're going to reoffend or if they're going to use again, if they score a certain score and they meet the criteria for a, a therapeutic community or some type of, of substance use disorder treatment and mental health um, counseling, then they need to do just that. Um, I know that you can't really make people do that because the, <laughs> then the, how do the they man- do it? Do you try to convince um, them? Do you make it like, Hey man, we're going to give you like a three month, well, like almost like Pen- halfway house kind of a thing. Yeah. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania actually mandated it that you cannot leave unless you have your GED or your high school diploma. Wait, if from prison, one- you yes. can't stop dude. If you yeah. get arrested without a high school diploma in Pennsylvania. No, 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 no. So this is the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. This is like the state Department of Corrections. This is so like when you first get arrested, you go to the county. Okay. When you get convicted of time more than a year, you go to state prison. So if you go to state prison and you were a high school dropout. You cannot be released in Pennsylvania until you get Correct. a GED. Correct. Wow. They made, 
They make you, and if you refuse to go to school, they put you in the hole. Stop, dude. That that cannot be true. Are you serious? It is so and, true, and it will make you max out your sentence. So, like, say if I was serving a two to four year wow. sentence. Wow. Yeah, you're uh, getting four years, or you're going to go to school and learn, and hopefully so that empowers you. And do you know what happens? Yeah, they want to be empowered, man. Like fucking knowledge is power. The individual wants to get their high school diploma or their GED. Yeah. Wow. You know, like I would. So I had three jobs when I was in prison. I was a alcohol and drugs counselor aide to the counselors on the recovery unit. I also was um, a tutor. And I also, um, I was like a block representative. <laughs> what do you mean a block representative? Oh my God. <laughs> Don't tell me it's like, dude, in my mind, I'm picturing like the, um, Who's the guy in charge of like the dorm room floor? Yes. God. Yeah, no, 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 no. Do you know it's what just... I'm saying? Like that's what I'm picturing. Like the guy <laughs> who's in charge, yeah. like the yeah. senior resident of all these fucking freshmen that are coming in and like just acting a fool. So within the Department of Corrections, there are what is called an inmate organization. And the facility that I was at had two inmate organizations. Um, the first inmate organization was the lifers inmate organization and the lifers inmate organization was only for lifers. In fact, I was the only non-lifer to have ever sat in on a lifers organization because I was such a strong advocate for juvenile lifers. Um, because I do, I believe that for a judge to give a juvenile multiple life sentences without the chances of parole is wrong. That's that's pretty harsh. And, and, and some people might be against me when I say this, but you have to take into consideration that the brain doesn't stop fully developing until the age of 25. We are talking about kids, kids who are still in their adolescence, making grown man decisions in a grown man world without being grown men. And without understanding, because the problem is the fact that these young boys are growing up in the streets with the only people to look up to as gangbangers. So they don't know any better. How can you give a 15-year-old child child, a two-year life sentence for shooting whomever multiple people um and i listen i don't i do not condone gun violence i do not condone condone yeah, violence. But what you condone is rehabilitation and mental health and holistic approach to Correct. there's a better life man can i educate okay. you can i show you a different option can Correct. i let now, you know there's another pathway my argument my argument solely is the fact that how can you convict a 15 year old child when they didn't fucking know better? Yeah. That's my problem. That is my biggest problem that these kids are growing up in these urban communities. And the only people that they have to look up to are these gangbangers who are giving them guns and are telling them you need to protect yourself. And you know, like I heard it the other day, you know, the dude said, he said, my 14 year old cousin carries a gun because he has to, 
Now, why does a 14-year-old kid have to carry a gun? Shouldn't. Shouldn't have Where to. Where gone wrong? Yeah. You know? And that's something that people need to realize. They, you know, this entire thing, the Black Lives Matters, and then people are saying all lives matter. Yeah, I get it. All lives matter. But if there's a house on your block that is <laughs> ablaze, completely on fire, corner to corner, are you going to send the fire department to every single house in the block and spray the houses that are not on fire? Or are you going to try to distinct, extinguish the house fire that is on fire? You know, like it, I can't wrap my head around it. And, you know, I've been guilty of it before because I was like, you know, this is like a segregation thing that's going on and like, they're just segregating themselves. But again, started listening and <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, I've been an asshole. And I even publicly said, I have even been guilty of this, but I did start listening and talking less. And what I have learned is that both sides of the spectrum, regardless if they're black, white, or blue, Everybody wants the same thing. And the big issue that is going on right now is the over-politicization of not just the COVID virus, but this entire movement. You had Nancy Pelosi, first one to say to take down the statues. You had Nancy Pelosi, again, first person to say defund the police, creating Mm. this false narrative that has led to the division of our country. And then you have people like myself and other politicians and other community activists who are stepping up, who are all seeing this for, for as it is, trying to come together behind the scenes. And yes, myself and other politicians and community activists right now are actively working on restoring the relationship between civilians and and law enforcement within our state because we see through the bullshit. We understand and know that both sides want the same thing and that the communication is just off and wrong and nobody wants to listen to each other. And, you know, everyone wants to play victim right now instead of trying to come up with a resolution. But we've already identified the problem. We've already come up with a strategy. It's all about executing this strategy. It's getting yeah. these career politicians out of office so we can make policy changes. It's reuniting the community with law enforcement by refunding the police, not defunding the police. And it's about reestablishing that relationship bringing our law enforcement into our communities so people can learn to trust our law enforcement officers. So our mm-hmm. law enforcement officers can learn to trust the civilians. Cause they're and, a part of it. The, the and, cops need to be a part of the neighborhood need to be a part do. of the community, man. They need to know the kids. They need to go to games. They need to see the kids play. And when you grow up with that, you just understand like, wow, he's not going to screw me over. No. You're absolutely right. And And you can completely incentivize it, right? Like, I mean, there, there's so many ways to supplement income of town cops where you're, 
you, you like the tax base is there to be like, dude, it's great. If you want to have a career, you don't need to leave your town to make a good living for your family as a police officer. Stay yeah. there, build those relationships. That shit doesn't happen on a fucking six month. Like it doesn't happen in a year. It doesn't happen in two. It happens over time. You know, and then you are 100% accurate on that um you're telling me that too much by the way that i'm 100 accurate i'm i may start taking that to my head by the way i'm that might be that may be my new like i don't know if that's available but like i'll be like mr 100 accurate like at go ahead and at me 100 accurate like that may be my new handle yeah. <laughs> i mean it's so tr it's it's true though you know um back um, when I started my town hall meetings in Claymont, Delaware, um, you know, I, we had this organization that was an umbrella organization to all the civics associations and they were not being leaders. Um, what we had was a fascist dictator who had all the control of this organization, this umbrella organization to oversee all of the civics associations and nobody liked him. And I said to him the one day, I said, Bobic, if the Claymont coalition is so great, why is nobody here? <laughs> that's right. Like so easy. And, oh, that's right. Because nobody likes you because you have taken control of this organization as if it is tangible and is all yours. And he did not like that at all. I bet. And here's the thing. Like, sometimes I have a difficult time holding back and having a filter. And <laughs> I, I do no, tell the not truth. not you. Not you. <laughs> holding back? That's hard for you? Wow. <laughs> Didn't know. What have you held back? <laughs> you know, um, and I do, like when I speak the truth and it's not even opinions, it's always like fact and people get so upset. And, you know, like sometimes I, I, I am apologetic about it and sometimes I'm not, you know, like when that news article got released and I said that I felt ostracized, I felt ostracized and I am entitled to those feelings. And yes, I told a news reporter that because it was true and she was asking me questions and I can't lie. I physically cannot lie. It's like liar, liar. Like the pen is. <laughs> no, like I physically cannot lie because when I start lying, I start drinking. And if I start drinking, I'm going to be smoking crack and shooting heroin and I'm going to die. And I do not want to die. <laughs> so, you know, and like, and it may seem crazy that it's like these, it's so polarized. It's from a trigger. One to the it's act, a trigger. The but it's the truth, you know, and I, I, can, I can, I can be very, very unapologetic about telling the truth because sometimes the truth just needs to be said. Man, and I, I, I'm sorry, man. Again, Matthew, I don't mean to cut you off, but in my head with this approach, and in my very limited Googling and Wikipedia reading, you basically need a quarter million votes to get your office. You Correct. need you need 240,000 votes. Republicans don't get to the twos. They stay in the ones. I know. But at the same time, 
you completely on, again, what have we been, two and a half hours, you do not sound like a typical Republican, though you have some principles of Republican. How are you getting a quarter, it's 25% of Delaware's population to vote for you? I am about to read you. A politician brought me one of their books, right? And signed it. And if I can find it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and I know that some people like, well, you know, that's not really um, anyone to be proud of. Oh, God, but is it Trump? I, so Christine O'Donnell. Oh, the witch. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I'm just I'm just being stupid from I knew. from like Listen, what people think, right? I I was working at this science store in Maniunk, um, right outside of the city of Philadelphia. And this woman comes in and she's shopping around with her her mother and And I'm sure she was cute because Christine O'Donnell had that appeal. But she, she's a very, she's a very, very, very pretty woman. Yes, hundred um, percent. I was surprised actually. Like the appeal, the 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 photogenics of her, I was very surprised on a very basic level that that did not help her more, because I feel like so much of being elected is your photo. I, I don't even know the word, like photographical appeal, like whatever the word is, like you photogenic appeal. Photogenic, yeah. You looking good in pictures. I feel gets you like 20%. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Right. That So that's where my 20% is going to come from. <laughs> so, so um, she comes into my store and she goes to check out and she hands me her credit card and I start laughing. And she's like, what's so funny? And I'm like, oh, you have the same name as a politician from my, from, from Delaware. Like I'm, I'm from Delaware and you know, um, you just, Roxy, sorry, uh. my dog needs to go outside and I don't want her, she was going to my bedroom and she's been, ah, uh, staking really. territory. So anyway, so she hands me her credit card and I start laughing and she's like, what's so funny? And I'm like, oh, you have the same name as a politician from Delaware. Like I'm from Delaware. And she looks at me with this like, <laughs> This like stern look, and she's like, "That is me." And, uh, I was like, "Oh, uh, yeah, yeah." Oh, just kidding. And uh, but like, I didn't say I didn't say anything bad. And so, um, her and I get to talking, and you know, she she expressed her favor of me. Um, she said that you don't meet many young people who are interested in politics nor do you meet um anybody who you know really has like the type of views that you have at any rate she comes back to my store and she brings me one of her books um troublemaker and she signed it um that the political arena needs more people like myself who can stand firm in their values but be able to reach across party lines to um, grab a hold of a neutrality or whatever it was that she said yeah, yeah. makes sense makes sense so, like you and, need yeah 
when I sat down with the chair of my party and when I sent out my emails for my endorsement from the party, I stressed over and over and over again, I have something that no one else in this party has. And that is a relatable story that will allow me to reach across party lines and take the votes from my opponent. And I can't stress it enough. And I, I've been saying this for the past couple of weeks. I have the gift of tongues. And I'm not saying like, you know, Jesus type of stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about the gift of language. I can speak to different cultures and communities and dialects because of my life experiences. When I went to the march on Saturday, um, the guy who organized the march, um, Joey Harrison, um, had turned to two people who were bickering um, while um, the one guy was was doing the prayer. And he said, the two of you are bickering. Meanwhile, my man's over here trying to pray. And then it kind of like turned into like this thing where he was like kind of attacking them verbally. And I got involved and I said, I was like, yo, 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 listen, like they're here for you. Cause he was saying like, Oh, politicians only show up when they want votes. And the councilwoman who was there, it was her district, you know? And um, I know that Michelle Marley, her heart's in it, you know? And, you know, as he was saying this stuff to her, I, I, def I defended her and the other, the other man who um, is also like a community activist. Um, and I was saying like, you know, like we're here to support you. We're here because we believe in, in, this movement to end gun violence in the city of Wilmington. Like we're here to support you. And he was like, so caught up in his emotions that he really like, wasn't hearing what I was saying and just was like set in his ways. But afterwards, after he cooled down, I walked up to him. And I was like, yo, my man, can, can I talk to you for a second? And uh, he was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yo, I'm, I'm so, I'm sorry about that. And I was like, no, 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 it's, it's cool. But like, Dude, can I, I got to pause you for a moment. And this is just me. So I, I don't know how familiar you are with Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, but Rehoboth Beach, we don't get so many, yo, 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 my mans, can I talk to you for a minute from right. ho homosexuals? <laughs> exactly. So, well, I, just to, I, I just to point that out, man, just to enhance your platform that you're trying to build. Like that's, you know? that is and odd. <laughs> I, I, and I said to him, I was like, my man, listen, <laughs> I think that there is something that you and I need to talk about and that I need to share my story with you. Right. And I started going through my, my life story and I, and I gave him like a very, very, very light abridged version. You know, like I said, I come from a single, you know, fatherless family or uh, a single mother fatherless yeah. family and you know like i was out running the streets selling drugs doing drugs you know 
doing all kinds of bad stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. Okay. The first time I got locked up was in 2006. I just did two years in 2015 to 2017. If anyone can say that they understand and they've seen the systemic and institutional racism that is alive in our country. And before I could say anything else, he was like, say no more, say no more. He's like, man, I got your back no matter what. And so, like, he and I, like, we hugged each other, you know? And another, another one of the community activists, her name's uh, Rochelle Wilson, and, and Joey and I, like, we walked and we talked, and I shared my life experiences with them. And they know where right. I stand. And I can honestly say, like, I know that these people have faith in me because I'm not. I am not some privileged, you know, yeah, upper um, class career politician, politician that a, just his like you went to Sally's, right? Like right. public school. I went to Mount Pleasant High School. I was on the five year plan and <laughs> to Brandywine and then back to Mount Pleasant High School. And you know, like I have lived these life experiences that are relatable, not just to one community or my community, but a lot of the community. Right. So, but dude, that kind of gets to my point where, and I guess I don't have a point. It's more of a wonder. Are there a quarter million votes, half of Delaware's population, or I get, it would be a quarter, but a quarter are going to go Democrat, a quarter hopefully go Republican. And then, well, I shouldn't say hopefully, but if a quarter go Republican, that's half of Delaware's population. So in essence, do a quarter of Delaware's population buy into that? Vote for that? Like, do you see it? Do, do they cross their Democratic lines to come to you? Um, I think that with my stance on the entire principles of... A United States House representative has only one duty. That duty is to represent the people and constituents of their district. That district includes Newcastle, Kent, and Sussex County. And it doesn't matter what my opinions are or what my beliefs are. When I say that I want to restore the power to the people, I am talking about having quarterly town hall meetings in Newcastle, Kent, and Sussex County. I want to bring the U.S. House to the state of Delaware directly, and none of this bullshit where I'm reporting to the governor and other state legislators who I... And basically kissing ass too, or they're kissing my <laughs> ass and playing these political games. No, it's not going to be that. It's going to be a direct relationship between yeah. myself and the constituents because their voice matters. And that's what the House of Representatives are for. Yeah. They represent the people. Should be, right? You know, and here we have this systemic problem where career politicians are abusing the system and they're getting rich off of it. And 
I don't believe that one, I don't believe that's fair. Two, they're not doing their jobs. They're not serving us. <clears throat> Dude, I, I, I'm sorry. As, Go ahead. As I get more and more involved in the communities, I am learning that our current congresswoman is not showing up. They haven't seen her. Oh. She shows up for photo ops in certain places, but they really haven't seen her. Mm. And I think that that is an issue. I don't have any kids. I don't think I'm going to be having kids anytime soon. Are you sure? You you sure? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to crack a joke because then I would be that insensitive guy. But if we were, I guess, not recording, I would have cracked a joke. Like... <laughs> Yeah, but like, you know, can do I believe that I can get a quarter of the votes in the state of Delaware to yeah. win this house? Yeah, I do. I do. But the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is be able to get my story out there. Right. And allow people to see me for who I am today and not who I was in 2013 because the person who I was in 2013 isn't isn't here anymore that that person that person died mm. you know uh, and I was reborn and my eyes became wide open um you know and I know that a lot of people will say uh He's kind of brazen. He can be a dick sometimes. And, you know, my argument to that is, do you want somebody who's going to lie on their back and take it? Or do you want somebody who's going to stand in Congress and say, you know what? Yeah. You congressional bullies. Um. <laughs> <laughs> save save all the curse words. I appreciate you uh, holding your tongue for the moment. You know, but um, like, it, dude, and that's one of the things I've struggled with as well is like, how much blunt honesty do you want versus how much get along to get shit done corporate mentality do you want in an, in an elected official? And I feel like that has to be a balance where, again, we've now been speaking almost three hours at this point. That sales, to me anyway, that sales mentality of who is my customer, my constituents, oh my right? Like, who do I need to serve? Who am I trying to put in the best position? For a perfect, a perfect um, instance where I can honestly say that people should be able to trust me to conduct myself with class <laughs> on yeah. Capitol Hill. It's not like I'm going to walk up there and be like, bitch, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> Let's throw down. Oh, you think you fucking tough, huh? 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 <laughs> Who the fuck are you talking to? You know, like, I, I would never say something like that. So, um, not once, but twice, my store sent me to the round table um, breakfast uh, for our company, which means that there, there's a representative from each store that gets sent to our distribution center for this breakfast. And then 
they get pulled into a conference room with the owners. Oh, that's enjoyable. That's fun times. For two straight years, I was a person who got picked. And the reason why is because even though I have this, uh, like, closeted hood rat within me. A little brazen. A little brazen. I know how to conduct myself Mm. in a professional way. I also know when to speak and when not to speak. Ah. Okay? Because there's a lot of people who show up at these um, at these meetings. They've been with the company one, two, four years, whatever. And all of a sudden, they get this, um, this ego and they think, oh, well, I'm meeting with the owners. I'm going to tell them you know, all these great ideas that I have, not even thinking that, hello, these people have been doing this for decades. (laughs) Do you think that you're the first person to, to have ever brought something like this up? Right. (laughs) You know, so, you know, when I go, I sit back and I listen to the dialogue and I talk on that. When they ask questions, I respond, but I'm not just throwing out my opinions and my beliefs. (laughs) Yeah, You know, for the sake of it, because I don't want to get fired. And second off, I don't want to get a report coming back on me saying that I acted like an asshole in front of the owners of the company. Because if there's anything that anyone in my company can say is that the owners don't have a bad thing to say about me. (laughs) And that's, and again, dude, that's something that's very interesting to me is just that business mentality of... Can you get in where you fit in? Do you know when to listen? Do you know when to lead? Do you know when to step in? Do you know when to sit back? And that's a hard thing to learn if you don't have real consequences of like, yo, you're fired. People didn't like you. Like you piss people off. Like these were our bosses. Those were those. those these are their objectives. You did not meet them. Goodbye. You know, I, that I'm happens. in not burning bridges. Um, and there have been people who have come in and out of my life, and I will admit that I looked at the person and I knew right then and there that this person is never going to be anything to me, and I might as well just let loose because <laughs> I'm never going to need this person again. This person is acceptable to me. Um, however, I, I have been a firm believer, like, don't, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. Um, you know, don't burn bridges. And I can say that it's, it's helped me get where I am today. Um, and also like, you know, I'm able to establish relationships with people and, you know, when it all comes down to it. Um, I understand what a smart business decision is and what is not. Now, I also understand that sometimes in business, you need to take risks. Right. Now, when it comes to taking risks, I have the ability to step back and see it from multiple angles. And 
I'm not a person like when it comes to business, I am not a reactionist. And I think that's something that really, really, really helps me because personality wise, if anyone has seen me engage with some people, they would probably say that I am quite a reactionist. Um, I may say but, that based on your stories, Matthew. Well, you know, I said this once before and I'm going to say it again and it's probably not going to be the last time I ever say it, but people take advantage of public figures thinking that they can walk all over us and use us as their emotional punching bags because their daddy never loved them or because their mother never hugged them or I don't know what the case is, but people are nasty to us for no damn reason. And that's so happy that I turn around and I'm like, you know what? You're an asshole. Don't talk to me that way. And that's, that's where like some of my problems um, have, have come into play. You know, this judge, um, there is uh, a magistrate judge who is a member of our community and he attacked me on a public forum and I turned around and I told him about himself and I told him, I said, I don't care if you are a judge or not. I said, you don't get to talk to me that way. Wait, wait, a judge get- came at you on social media? Yes. Stop, dude. That cannot be true. Well, you know what? People do a lot of strange things when they hit the bottle at night. <laughs> like make podcasts no i'm kidding that was slanderous towards myself i cannot (laughs) dude there there is not a judge in delaware that went at you on social media that's a real thing no yeah it was a real thing and then and then like my um my like group of people my advisors i don't know what they were um we were like a group of four friends who had established this this bond and incorporated all of my town hall meeting, well, the town hall meeting that I started, and then we like grouped together and and organized all of these town hall meetings together, ish. Um, I mean, and at any rate, they they started calling me and they were like, "Matt, what are you doing?" And I'm like, uh, "Listen, I give up." At this point, like, this dude is attacking me. And what am I supposed to sit back and just What take? is he attacking you about, though? What's uh, the issue? Caesar Rodney again? Or do you not want to get into it? And Which is fine. We can move on. No, I'm just, just curious. To be honest with you, I haven't talked about it in a while. And I really forget. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? But it... It, it was it was a situation where he had expressed his views or whatever on something, and I made a sarcastic comment, and he just went off on me, and I gave it back to him. I'm uh, so surprised that a judge would actually express their views on social media. Oh my god! There's there's a couple of them that are uh, that are pretty uh, they're 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 winners. <laughs> <laughs> there are some winners, um, you know. And when I when I stepped into the political arena, some uh, a wise woman told me, you know, there's sometimes that you have to bite your tongue, and you're gonna have to bite your tongue, and 
you know, how you run this election is going to determine your future in politics. And, you know, I've, I've gone, I've gone a little rogue, um, because I don't like to conform to the social norms. Um, I am the type of person who, you know, dances to the beat of my own drummer and I've been like that my entire life and I'm not changing for anybody, you know, but like when it comes down to it, can I conduct myself in a professional manner when it comes to serious matters? Absolutely. Yeah. And can Um, you listen? Can you interpret information? Can you synthesize? Can you understand if people coming with you or coming to you with information actually know what they're talking about? It seems like a lot of that comes from the business background. Yeah. And you know, I, um, (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I have called my loss prevention, um, my loss prevention guys in, in corporate and said, Hey, listen, I just put a ticket in can you change the delivery date? Cause we have like a, a code that we put on it uh, for like investigation. Um, well, or it's like pending. Um, and what they do is they, they, they look into the app, the credit application to see if it's fraud. And I can't tell you how many times I have called and said, listen, I have a feeling this person's behavior, <laughs> they are lying. Right. And I haven't been wrong ever. <laughs> you know, I, uh, we had a guy come in and try to spend, you know, almost $10,000. And the way that he was acting, I knew instantly that it was fraud. I then had my, um, one of my salespeople go out into the parking lot because I was outside when he pulled up and get his license plate number. You know, and it's, you know, that saying you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Yeah. Yeah. My mom used to say that to me all the time. (laughs) I spent a lot of my time in my active addiction, bullshitting my way through life. And I'm like the grand master of bullshit. You know? Right. uh, No, dude, the life experience is totally point that way like you just understand different um communities and cultures to say it politely yeah let me ask you this matthew um because and i love it dude because this is very unlike the other conversations i've had with um other people running for political office it has not been very like platform driven this has been way more like conversational yeah. Let me add, and I love it. And I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it because it's really been enjoyable. And I don't think you can have a three hour conversation at this point. Um, if it's not, <laughs> but is there a platform thing? And I just wanted to give you the opportunity that you wanted to really speak on aside from the prison reform, um, that you had spoke. And I shouldn't paint that as your like only, platform thing that you're trying to reform prison, but is there another, is there one platform? Maybe that's the better way. If I was a good podcast host to ask it (laughs) that you um, haven't had the chance to speak on that you would like to. 
So my prison reform is a multifaceted uh, reform legislation. And the reason why I say that is because I believe that prison reform does not just start with the Department of Justice or the Department of Correction or the criminal. It starts within our own communities. Um, I have been working for the past three years to implement change into culture. And as you were saying earlier, it, that's not something that happens overnight. It takes years to change an entire culture. Generations, and man. Generations. We have a lot of work on our hands um, for the future because the problems that are being addressed in today's society are a direct reflection of failed policies that have led to cultural issues that can essentially be reversed. And it's, it's simple things like implementing a stronger education system, being able to provide the proper resources, whether it's re-entry from substance use disorder treatment or re-entry from, um, uh, re-entry from prison. Um, you know, it's, I, I can't stress it enough. The community is a very, 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 very vital role in all of this. And in order for us to be able to achieve the, the goals that we're going to be setting forth, we're going to have to put a little bit more energy into restoring American values, starting from the home and the family. Mm, that's and, a great point. And the community. And so I'm talking about incentivizing our civics associations, you know, bringing federal funding to be able to help our civics associations and the organizations that oversee their civics associations, being able to provide them with funding to be able to maybe have some type of carnival event in their community or, you know, a day to remember and, and pay respects to our first responders. Uh, uh, you know, so let are... me, and, and I'm sorry again, man, I've really, I got to get better at interjecting and I apologize because I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I wanted you to emphasize, why does that matter to you? Why do you want to have these community events? So the reason why it, it matters so much to me, um, is because I, I have witnessed the strength, uh, the power of community firsthand. You know, when I started my town hall meetings and I started a rapport with the community and became a, a leader of my community, Together, we were able to tackle one of the biggest contributing factors to our opioid crisis, our crime rates, our overdose rates, and um, 
crazy things like prostitution and, and, and other crimes in our community. And we worked together and it wasn't, it wasn't me as a leader doing all this. It was, it was us. Right. You know, like it wasn't, you know, that, that leader that has the team on his back and is, is carrying everybody. I was a leader who was down on the ground with them marching and saying, we can do this. What was and the position? What were you in? I wasn't in a position. I literally came oh. home and everyone was bitching about shit. And said, <laughs> Why you just have a town hall meeting and invite all of your local legislators and say, if you do not start working for us, we're going to vote you the fuck out. Oh, wow. And <laughs> oh my God, well, who's going to be able to do that? Because none of us have time to do that. And I was like, uh, I guess I will. <laughs> um, because I have time on my hands. I was working a full-time job and working a part-time job bartending. And I still was able to organize it. I had my first town hall meeting. I had the attorney general, the um, director of public health, the um, chief of paramedics, um, chief of police, um, county councilman, the county executive, our local state house representatives without an official title. No, no. And I chaired the meeting. One, I was home for five months. I was still on parole. Wasn't even legally living in Delaware yet. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was not even legally living when I organized the town hall meeting. Wow. Yeah. Like my probation officer was like, do what you got to do. <laughs> like if you get caught, I didn't know anything about it <laughs> and because they trusted me, you know, that they, yeah. they knew they were doing the right thing and I was trying to get to the right place. Yeah. But I, I was no, I wasn't anybody. And I sat before this room and I, <laughs> so funny. So like, I had to be vulnerable and I put my shit out on the table for everyone to know. Yes, I was on the news, three, six, ten, and Fox. Okay. I was in the Daily Times, the Philadelphia Inquiry, um, the News Journal, and a bunch of other news outlets and articles were were written about me and I can't speak on my past, but I can speak on what I believe now and shit's fucked up <laughs> and we need to do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> and for whatever reason, everyone was like, yeah, like they rallied behind me. And I think it was because here comes this guy who is completely 100% vulnerable and is like, you know what? You guys are right. Like, Things are really bad and people are dying and our state legislators and our local officials are not doing anything about it. And if they don't do anything about it, we're going to hold them accountable. And when I started to establish that voice, because I did, I became this, this 
belting voice in the state where officials started listening to me. And, you know, I didn't always say the right things. <laughs> or say it the right way, I'm assuming. Or say it the right <laughs> And, you know, I offend people. And I think the thing that really matters is the fact that the things that I said have let have been led to the results that we got. And I can't say that I was the one who did it. It was the strength of my community that did it. Right. It just so happens that I became this leader who didn't pull my team, but I pushed my team. You know? And yeah, well, every team needs a captain, man, or a, or a vocal, like a, a mouthpiece. Not to call you just a mouthpiece, but they need a spokesman. An articulator of some sorts. And apparently you are, or you can be that articulator. I can. And, you know. <laughs> I love it. I can. Yes. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, uh, I've had a lot of, and not to change the topic, but I've had a lot of divine intervention that has led me to where I am today. I, for the past year and a half, two years maybe, have been trying to live my life and do what I want to do because I am that actor that they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous that is arranging the entire scene and the lights and the camera and, and everything the way that they want it to be because this is my world. You're just living in it, you know? Oh, hubris. Um, and, and I say that because that is, that is the absolute fault of an alcoholic right there, you know, and I'm cognizant of that. And, you know, where I wanted to pull out and I just wanted to give up for whatever reason, God has completely said, recalculating route, recalculating route and has <laughs> onto this path and I'm like God I don't want to do this but I'm going to do it because it's your will and let's see what happens you know and I um, I for the past you know four months have questioned you know like what is my purpose in this and I'm going to leave on this um, because it's, it's it is getting late um, and <laughs> three and a half hours but um I have finally found my purpose and that purpose is to not only bring forth my life experiences and what I have been through to shed light on particular issues, but to be able to utilize the gift that I have to be able to restore the relationship between law enforcement and civilians and I <laughs> that would be huge so crazy that when I organized my first town hall meeting that is something that officer Kearns and I were talking about and, and I, I still have the emails where I said to her the relationship between law enforcement and civilians is broken and we need to figure out how we are going to fix it and I, 
I understand now that my ability to be able to talk to different people in their dialect is going to help mend some of the issues that are going on today in our country. And I don't care if I get elected or not. I have found a purpose in why I have been led to where I am. And now that I understand that, I'm working so much more harder towards that. Right. Because this it's part of my mission. It's it's and I, I can't I can't really describe it um other than it, it truly like I truly believe that it's it's divine intervention. It's and, it's like the blues brothers, man. I've been watching that on demand. It's like keeps popping up. I think it's HBO. We're like they're just on this mission from God. And God is what how you want to take it. And you're just feeling that way. Yeah, and you know, um when when I was incarcerated, I read um, Sarah Palin's Going Rogue, and she says in, in the book, um, she starts talking about how God works in mysterious ways, and that if you're on a family road trip, um, the only way that you can get to your destination is by following the directions and the signs. So you have a map, and with that map, you have your clear directions, but you're not going to get to your destination unless you follow the signs and God works the same way. So when I got sober and my eyes opened wide and I accepted um, myself for who I am and was able to come to a, a closer relationship with my God of my understanding, I stopped trying to do things my way and I started paying attention to the signs and instead of doing things the way that I want to do them, I am just following the signs <laughs> and you know, it's going to get me where I got to go, I guess. Right. But, uh, I do. I, I believe that I have a purpose in this and that purpose is to, to restore some, some relationships that need to be mended. Yeah. And Matthew, man, like what a voter would not want their political representative to feel a sense of purpose for representing those who are voting for them, right? Like that's that that's a very wholesome place to come up, um to come from or to want to go with it. It's yeah. awesome. So, dude, and you're absolutely right, man. Like, I cannot believe, um, for full disclosure, it's one sixteen in the morning. That's how much time you've given me, which has been awesome. Three and a half hours. Three, dude. It, yeah. Well, we're gonna get there. Be, well, we might get there. So, <laughs> mentors of Matthew Morris. <laughs> um, I've got to get you out of here on this, Matthew. Um, this is how I end the podcast, and I'm gonna assume. You do not know how I end them because honestly, only one person has, Kristen Guest 29. I end the podcasts by asking my guests this. So get ready to tell a great story. Can I please get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. 
sponsored by abstinence waiting makes it worthwhile oh my god yes uh, <laughs> I love it. I love that you were like, oh my God, yes. Dude, everyone else has such trepidation and you just freaking jumped right in and you were like, oh my God, yes. I love it. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> so I, it's actually a story about how I met my boyfriend. Oh, uh, beautiful. And it was probably the most coolest, like, it was just, it was all too coincidental and it was just like this beautiful thing. Um, but so I, um, we were hanging out the one day and I was like, you know, I really should go because like your roommate's going to come home and like, he doesn't know about me and whatever. And so like, as well, when you say whatever, he doesn't know his roommate is gay or he doesn't know his roommate has a boyfriend. Um, his, his roommate just didn't know about me. Um, so, (laughs) um, I feel like the way you giggle, there's more to the story, but go ahead. (laughs) A couple couple minutes after I said this, his phone rings and his roommate is at the house. Um, so he's like, Oh my God, my roommate's here. And I like jumped up. I put my shoes on and I grabbed my keys and I ran out the back door. (laughs) (laughs) I'm standing on the like back porch and his neighbor is outside sitting in this like gray Adirondack chair and she's like reading a book, but she's like trying not to eavesdrop on what's going on. Of course. I could see her like side eyeing me, trying (laughs) to see what's going on. And then I look behind the house and there's like this guy, uh, there's like an apartment complex or whatever back there. And there's this guy sitting on his porch laughing. Right. (laughs) And I'm just like, Oh my God, this is like the craziest experience ever. And so like I leave and I like, you know, I go around the house and I escape without being seen. And, um, I get a phone call. Um, and he's like, uh, you left your, your wallet and your glasses here. And I was like, Oh damn. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, today's my cousin's wedding, so I'm not going, like, I'm not going to be able to, like, I, I have to go, uh, I'll just have to pick everything up later. And um, he was like, no, 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 like, I, I can bring it to you, um, like, I can just meet you somewhere. And I was like, okay, like, Dunkin' Donuts. So um, this was, like, the first day that, like, we actually, like, hung out. Um, we had been talking for a while. Oh. And, and um, so getting to know each other, like, you know, you ask these stupid questions, like, oh, what's your favorite movie? And it just so happens that, like, both of us had cool intentions, and... Uh, <laughs> so, because of Ryan Philippi? <laughs> right? So, we... Uh, we both pull into the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, and my phone was connected to my car and so was his. And so when we pulled up and I got out and opened up my door, the, the audio and microphones from both of our cars made like that really loud screeching sound. Uh-huh. I turned it. So I turned my phone off. Um, or no, 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 I'm sorry. He hung up his phone and 
the Cruel Intentions soundtrack started playing in my car. Oh. So um, we, like, looked at each other and we're just, like, kind of just, like, shocked at the the whole, like, thing. Yeah. Uh, The universe bringing it together. It was so. It was totally like the universe at large, just. Um, and I can't say that that's like a first for last, but um, it definitely was the first time anything had ever happened, and I can honestly say that through our entire relationship, the number one quote that we always have is. There's a whole lot of firsts. <laughs> I don't ever think that there's ever going to be a last. So um, I hope I answered that correctly. There, dude, no. Oh my God. There is no correct answer. It's just whatever people take it as, Matthew. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I. Uh, it's when you had said that, the first thing that popped into my mind was a whole lot of firsts. Um, so yeah, we've just like, some of the things that we've done together, uh, like we went kayaking together. It was the first time either one of us had ever been kayaking. Um, so, you know, like I said, a whole lot of firsts, um, but it's been kind of like an inside joke between us. Dude, that's, (laughs) that was great, man. Dude, that was perfect. And there, there completely is no right answer. Um, if you, uh, I don't know if you have the time working and running for office, but if you scroll through, like everyone's is different, which is the beauty in the podcast that I try to do, which is get to know people on a very humanistic level and understand them. And I've always loved the social experiment of seeing where people's minds go when you just spur like spur of the moment. What's your best first for last? You know, like it's a little cruel, but at the same time, my intention is not. Did you yeah. see what I did there? Did you appreciate that or no? I said oh, it's a little I'm... cruel, but my intention is not. No. <laughs> I tried. I tried, Matthew. I tried. I tried to I tried to bring it in, man. I really tried to wrap it up. Matthew, man, dude, I'm, I'm so, I cannot tell you three and a half hours. If anyone doubts your desire to speak your story, to conversate with people who live within the state, um, if anyone doubts your desire and authenticity of just being a person who can communicate with a bunch of different people, they should absolutely make it to this mark and realize like you're that guy. I so appreciate you coming on the podcast, man listens to three and a half hours of me talking (laughs) someone (laughs) someone might maybe fox news if they want to slander you right but (laughs) but man i really appreciate you spending this much time allowing me to get to know you allowing the listeners to get to know you and um dude good luck man good luck in your um in your quest to be a representative for the state of delaware the only one wait and end of podcast weird thing how many other states only have one representative in Congress? Montana, Rhode Island. Not Rhode uh, Island. According oh, no, to Wikipedia. Um, I know that Montana definitely has one. Yes. 
um, Iowa? No. Oh, no. You're so off. Uh, I'm sorry. Alaska, yes, nailed it. That's two. There's seven total. Delaware is three. Alaska, Montana. Um, Alaska, Montana, Delaware. I'm trying to think of like states that don't have. Oh, North Dakota. Nailed it. South, South Dakota nailed it. Um, two more. You're almost there. Wyoming. Nailed. And the last one is Wyoming. No, that was six. I'll give oh. you the last one. Ben and Jerry's Vermont. It, it's uh, such an unfair question, but I was shocked that Vermont only had one. Oh, you know what? I can see that because <laughs> it's very mountainous there. It is, dude. It's just not dense. It's just not dense. And dude, again, so you if any listeners have made it to the 330 mark and the way you handled a surprise question like that, think about voting for my man. Okay, please think just consider voting for Matthew Morris. I so appreciate you coming on, Matthew. Thank you so much for letting us get to know you, man. I really enjoyed the time we got to spend together. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you uh, spending the time with me for three and a half hours to one thirty in the morning. Uh, you know, I am um, I'm always an open book, so if anyone has any questions, they can feel free to reach out to me. You can visit my website. Uh, it's www.mmhm4de.com. That's mm-hmm for Delaware. Dot com. I love it. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, enjoy the sleep that you get to get tonight. I hope you get a good night's rest. Thank you so much. You have a great night. Do the same, man. Bye. Bye. On the subject I like most. Thanks to Matthew Morris for coming on the Getting to Know You podcast, for giving so much of his time, and for being so honest and open. If you'd like to know more about Matthew Morris, you can go to his website, MatthewMorrisForDelaware.com. And remember, the primary in Delaware is September 15th. Thanks to AndrePsyche.com for sponsoring the Getting to Know You pod. Right now, what else do you have to do? Go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy merch. It's going to be worth checking out. And if you haven't already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The word of the pod. The word of the pod is entitlements. Entitlements. Entitlements is the word of the pod. So post that word in any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it in yours and you will get a shout out on the next podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You podcast, especially on Apple. Can't emphasize that enough. Or Spotify, which is my preferred podcast platform. Or can you use that many oars in the same reading (laughs) your preferred podcast platform. Finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor or advertise on the Getting to Know You podcast, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would love to get to know more about your brand or business, so all you have to do is message us. Don't forget, get out and vote.